0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. You're also Kate, to like to debate the merits of all that they've seen: comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse. Let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colwick, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. How's it going, Noel?
1: It's going really good. How
0: are you today? I I am doing well. Uh, it's been. It's been a better week. I wasn't in a car accident this week, so it's clearly better than last week. How about that? It is, yeah. It is. How are you feeling? I'm feeling. I'm feeling uh, much better. And when how's your car feeling? My car's totaled. <laughs> so Aww. the the lucrative world of podcasting is going to make sure that I've got that uh, covered. But
2: it, we this, should have started
0: a, the Patreon for you. Uh, no, 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 no. This is <laughs> this is a space of of wonderment and joy and happy things. Normally, normally that's what we go for. But uh, so let's start with the a couple happy things. Uh so first of all, we are joined at the end of this podcast by Latoya Ferguson of the AV Club to talk about Fast Lane, which was super fun. It was.
1: Well, talking with Latoya about it was super fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. There are a handful of shows that we haven't loved, and I say we meaning myself and the various hosts over the years uh of the show for so so this is one of them, but it's a good conversation.
1: It, it's a very good conversation. I was glad Latoya was able to come by and talk about it. And
0: she loves it. And that's yes, that's what matters. Yes. yes. Uh, so that was great. And also I wanted to mention that I uh, was a guest on the Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan podcast this week, which was wonderful to to join Ryan McGee to talk about Daredevil season two over there. We're also going to talk about it here. Cause I need to know what you think, and we've got more to say about it. But we talked about Daredevil season two, and because Ryan is uh, patient, <laughs> I was like, "When are you going to talk about the 100? Because like I know what Mo thinks, because she came on our podcast. But I need to—I wanted to hear Ryan's thoughts, so he let me talk some hundred over there with him as well. So, oh, that's good. Yeah. So there's about a half hour on Daredevil and a half hour on on more on the hundred. So you guys can go check that out at Talking TV with Ryan or Ryan. Um, but that that was fabulous and, and a lot of fun. I feel like we should start with the less somber of these two. Um Yeah, I think that's fair. Which is um we've got some unfortunate news here. And the superficially unfortunate news is that Limitless has not been renewed for season 2. I've been lying to the listeners and I feel and like to really me. bad. And to you. <laughs> I was so but if it makes you feel better, Noel, I also was just like looking around, like where has everyone taken crazy pills? I swear we all reported uh, I didn't report, but other people reported that it had been renewed. And what it is, is that Les Moonvez did a like a press call where he hinted strongly that all the freshman shows were going to be renewed. But didn't actually renew them. And then after that, uh, so I just saw like the tweets and everything, so I thought it had been renewed. But no, he just strongly hinted that they were all going to be renewed, except for uh, Angel from Hell. And then at C2E2, Kyler Lee... When I asked about season two, can you tell us anything about season two? She's like, well, we're getting one. So I was like, see, yeah, because the news broke about that. See, this is awesome. Uh, but no, today CBS announced renewals, and none of the freshman shows have been renewed. So I've been lying to our audience, raising our hopes, getting us, making us com- uh, complacent about this. And uh, now I, w- I was just like, "What? what happened? Who took season two from me? No,
1: no, don't do it. And it turns out that you took season two from us. From us!
0: From all of us. So um, apparently what I'm hearing, uh, as if I have inside sources, but what I'm hearing from people is that um, it's strongly anticipated that Supergirl and Limitless and the other freshman shows over at CBS that have not already been canceled are likely to be renewed. Um, No word, of course, on Rush Hour, which starts next week, but... Uh, It has not yet been renewed, and so I apologize, listeners, that is totally on me for not actually clicking the link and reading the full article, but instead just looking at the uh, headlines and... television regrets the
1: error. Yeah, no, we do, and I'm gonna cry myself to sleep tonight now.
0: Yeah, it's all my fault.
1: But to be fair, I do that every night, so it's not really that different.
0: Yeah, it's like, just like <laughs> the context slightly yeah. changes. Um, yeah. And on a more serious note, a more somber note, um, Gary Shandling passed away this week, and we wanted to to mention him up here at the top because, of course, he was just a brilliant comedian, and his work uh, on... The Larry Sanders Show really shaped the the progression of the TV, like what comedy was on TV, what the form yep. could be, the show within the show format. I would encourage people to go to, into the archives at theteleverse.org and check out the DVD shelf. One of the earlier DVD shelves ever done on the podcast was about the the Larry Sanders Show. I have it's Gary Shandling Show on DVD. By the way, I'm ready to do that as a DVD shelf. Should we have a guest who wants to do it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but but no, a really. A, a very funny man a very talented man and the Larry Sanders shows one of the great TV shows as far as I'm concerned
1: yeah. absolutely um no this is this is pretty serious loss and really surprising as yeah. well I'm, he's only 66 yeah he was only 66 and it was just like that's that was a big that's a big thing and I was really surprised when I saw the news I honestly thought it was a death hoax at first because mm-hmm. I saw it on the internet and I assume that almost everyone unless it's like a minor character actor like um Ken uh, Ken Howard who also died this week Uh, So yeah it was just one of those things Where I just went oh Gary Ah, The internet's pulling my leg This is a Jeff Goldblum thing all over again And no it wasn't and I was pretty sad Yeah
0: well um, Do you have a favorite uh, Larry Sanders show episode or character Or or element I mean I I just always Go back to the Duchovny stuff
1: Yeah no We should always go back to the Duchovny
0: stuff (laughs) Uh, no,
1: I think he's just, he's great. And I mean, he, he was, he was also just a really welcome presence in like the Marvel movies Mm -hmm. as that really corrupt senator. Um, Hail Hydra. But yeah, (laughs) so no, um, it's, it's a real loss, I think. A real loss. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, I look forward to hearing from people with their favorite Shandling memories and and roles and uh, Larry Sanders elements. If you haven't seen The Larry Sanders Show, listeners, this is a fantastic opportunity to dive in. Like, it's it's astonishing how fresh it feels. Yeah. Um, it holds up completely. You don't have you need the context of the time and everything. You can just dive right in with it, and you'll be very uh, comfortable with it. And you'll also be really pleased with just... How deep the bench is, like like people showing up for like two lines you're like they're gonna be huge in three years after this was filmed,
2: um,
0: yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic show, so i look forward to hearing from people thoughts that and and feel free to just like yell at me about this limitless and c b s stuff <laughs> um, and feel free to share more um thoughts on the hundred and these other uh elements as well um we're gonna be talking some crossover with stuff with The 100 and with um, Walking Dead. There is a great infographic at Autostraddle that y'all can go check. I remember how I was saying I wanted um, someone to put together a list of of lesbian and bisexual characters who get happy endings. Autostraddle did it. There's like 30 of them.
1: Yeah, if that.
0: And the, the death count is up to 148. Yep. So... Um, good times good times those are great but they also put together an infographic uh that is super awesome just search auto straddle infographic uh lesbian characters on tv and it should come up we'll put a link in the show notes too but um yeah there's a lot of great stuff happening there and, and um we're not gonna talk about the open letter from the showrunner at the hundred to the fan base or any of that stuff. So um uh, yeah, not you're welcome to dive in in that in the comments. Um, and I look forward to other people's thoughts. But now we're gonna dive in with our week in TV because we got a bunch of TV to talk about. So we'll take a break yeah. now and be back with our weekend comedy.
2: You know the trope in storytelling, it's a norm. When a person's in trouble, a manifestation of this. Son- just a piece.
0: This week in comedy, we're going to preview Archer Season 7, which is starting up next week on FX. Uh, Then talk a little bit about the Venture Brothers uh, Season 6. I imagine we'll talk a bit about the season as a whole, but specifically the finale, Red Means Stop. Uh, Then I'm going to talk a bit about the younger finale for Season 2, No Weddings and a Funeral. Um, uh, Noel's going to talk about Broad City, Philadelphia. We'll both dive in with the Carmichael show, Perfect Storm. And then the CW is back. So we have Jane, Chapter 37, and Craziest Girlfriend, Josh, has no idea where I am! Uh, but first up, we're going to preview Archer Season season 7. We're keeping things spoiler-free for you listeners, of course. But, um, what I don't consider a spoiler, and I don't think... Is the premise.
1: Is the premise, so... That's not a spoiler, and if you think that's a spoiler, you're wrong.
0: So how did you (laughs) feel about the previous season that had a distinct premise, which was Archer Vice, uh, Noel, and what it... Would you enlighten our listeners who may not know about what the premise of this season is? Sure. Um, I...
1: I was really excited for Archer Vice because they did a lot of, like, pr- Adam Reed did a lot of press about th- just the expense of that season of having to get all new animation elements because animation's not cheap, guys. They have to build and draw everything by hand. So when you reuse cells and when you reuse sets, it saves money. But Archer Vice was really expensive because it was just like, we're not going to use The Office anymore. <laughs> and so I was really excited. And then the season was just kind of, for me i didn't really get into it a lot um i enjoyed like a couple of episodes mainly the one in um the mansion was hilarious mm-hmm. but then the and that was really really early and uh, but then after they like went on the run and everything i was just like oh this isn't what i wanted so eh, it wasn't that great uh but this new premise i am all in for <laughs> this time it's no, different this time it's way different and it's so in my wheelhouse that it hurts
0: okay so what is the premise
1: this year, um, having been disbanded as um, the spy agency, and also because they really can't use the word ISIS anymore, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone's relocated to Los Angeles to open the Figgis Agency, which is a private investigation firm <laughs> with only one licensed private investigator, <laughs> and that's that's Cyril. <laughs> But, so, yeah, no, so they're operating as a private investigation firm in L.A., which means all sorts of new shenanigans and hijinks. And just, the first, did you, how many have you watched of this? I've seen
0: the first four. First four, okay.
1: The first four are all really great. Yeah. It's just, it's a really solid first run of episodes. I'm so excited about this premise and what it does already within, like, the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling really good about this. How are you feeling about it?
0: Well, not only do I enjoy Archer, not yes. only do I enjoy these characters, not only do I enjoy film noir and old Hollywood, this the season opens with a Sunset Boulevard, like, just, like, riff that is fantastic. So, like, if you enjoy yeah. Sunset Boulevard, but have never seen Archer, watch this. It'll be funny, and you'll be like, ah, oh, I see what they're doing there. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but... I I really appreciate the way, at least in these first four episodes, they have clearly established what is going to be a season-long arc, but they also find plenty of space for characters, for characters' backgrounds and and past and how that informs their present in comparatively standalone episodes. So we have a a premise establishing first episode that is going to come back clearly throughout the season, but then the second, third, and fourth, while they occasionally have tangential elements that feed into, like, they get a clue or something on the seasonal yeah. arc. Um, they mostly stand alone. And they do, I think they do a much better job in this because the characters aren't hiding their identities, because yeah. they're not like on, like, trying to stay underground. They can um, they can hold on to more elements, more the more distinctive elements of the character. We're not going to suddenly have, as great as the Shirley arc was, we're not going to have a complete character reinvention like that. Um, and I think that that continuing these character threads, continuing the stuff with Abigene and with Lana and uh, and Archer, and and those different elements, I think works really well to give cohesion to this season, while also allowing it to have standalones. Um, and like the case yeah. of the week, the PI format works, I think, very well for this group. Yes. Um, so so I'm a little I'm not I'm not as confident that that maybe they'll. Nail the whole arc, or that they won't, sure. you know, later in the season start getting into some of the same issues that I, I had with the later episodes of Miami of <laughs> Miami Vice of Archer Vice, um, but it's a really strong start and it's yep. a it's a it's a it's a f- very entertaining change um, and I think necessary change in, in yeah. premise and it's like a refreshing of the show, so I think it's I think it's a
1: good call. I do too, and like you said, I'm I'm pretty excited just based on the premiere which is next this this coming week um uh the season-long arc i'm just really interested in seeing how that plays out um Mm -hmm. mainly because i thought like i i didn't i didn't think it was over but then it got reintroduced in a surprising way in what the third episode yeah and i was just surprised that it like resurfaced right there and they're aware like the characters are aware and like go oh hey we should do something about this. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. Um, and I'm excited for... The first four episodes are really, like, Archer-heavy. Um, which is fine. But I, I, I just want that bench to come forward some more in some future episodes. Because I, mm-hmm. I love I love everyone on this show. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm always happy when Amber Nash gets to do Pam. And <laughs> I'm still upset that she doesn't have an Emmy. Mm-hmm. So... Fair yeah, enough.
0: but no, I'm really excited about Archer, yeah. Yeah, I look forward to everyone's thoughts on it. Um, we're also big fans over here uh, continuing the animation of Venture Brothers. We haven't been talking about it for the last few weeks, but they had their finale this week, Red means Stop. Um, and the Ven- Venture Brothers has also gotten, it's always been very serialized because they have just this world where every now and again they pull back characters and you have to try to theoretically remember the universe, but it's not been as straightforwardly the... Like, having an arc, I think, in the past, as they do this season. It's a very distinct, uh, the monarch is adopting the, the persona of the blue morpho and taking out all of Dr. Venture's, uh, villains so that he can go up the ranks of who gets to arch him and everything, and tying in with his memories of his childhood and Dr. Girlfriend, sorry, Dr. Mrs. My Wife, or whatever she's, she is right now, um, (laughs) uh, is rising in the ranks of uh, the League of Calamitous Intent, right? Yeah. Yes. Um. And and so like there's no uh, conflict, Guild like, of
1: Calamitous have, Intent.
0: Guild of Calamitous Intent. I knew that there was something wrong with that. Um. And uh, so there's and there's that's how is that affecting their marriage? Like there's a lot of really great, really human stuff happening. Yes. Alongside ridiculous like uh like blue beetle or green hornet uh homages and explosions and the the venture crew like the boys being out in new york and trying to date and everything it's it's been a really fun season even if I can't really point to a specific episode as being one of my favorites ever. I I think it's been a really consistent and really strong season.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, When I was thinking about the season as a whole and also, wow, this was a really short season and now we have to probably wait another three years. Um, Tears. Tears indeed. Um, But no, I I also had a problem pointing at an episode going, wow, that was a really good episode because it all kind of like blended together a little bit for me. Um, the only episode that really stood out, and it was a fairly recent one, was uh, Dean going on a date with uh, White Whale's daughter, which was a really good episode, I thought. <laughs> but uh, this finale was just really, really great as well. Um, just, Clancy Brown is the Red Death. <laughs> Best thing ever.
0: <laughs> on the playground with his daughter. Yes,
1: she looks just like you I know, (laughs) and she's just Red Skull (laughs) And so, no, it was a really good episode I was kind of surprised at how just really Quietly it ended um, With Red Death Just telling um, Telling the monarch to Embrace himself And who he is, and Mm -hmm. what his life is And it's just, that's one of like The kind of key tenets of this show anyway Is embracing your life And being okay with what your life is and as well as embracing the fact that maybe your life is a failure. But, <laughs> uh, so no, this was a really, really good episode and a really good season. And like you were saying, like a lot of the human elements, I think just really worked this worked really well this season, particularly with the monarch, which I think was important because he was starting to get kind of cartoonish in a bad way. <laughs> and they pulled him back from that, I think really, really nicely. And, yeah, no, it was a really, it was really, it was a really, really good season, I thought. Um, but
0: now we have to, like I said, wait three years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hopeful that maybe there'll be a Comic-Con panel for Venture Brothers this year, because they have material they can talk to people about then from this previous season. Just because they give good panel, um, and it's it's a fun panel. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it, like you say, it's a very low-key ending to the season. It's not, it's not Gargantua 2, you know. Um Yeah. And it's it's kind of it's sort of like a huh ending which is nice, yeah. and it's a good change of pace, but i'm gonna I'm gonna miss it while, it's gone, absolutely, yeah, I will too, yeah, we always do though, yeah, yeah, we do we do, and I would much rather to make this abundantly clear. I would much rather they take off a year, two years between seasons and give us seasons that they're happy with that are yeah. of this quality or this caliber, much rather they take that approach so
1: and the show always looks good too is the other thing like yeah the animation's always really beautiful it's always colored really well it's always really really gorgeous to look at and you don't get that when you rush it so yeah two three years i'm okay with that as for the sheer quality of as a uniform product
0: next up is the younger finale Younger, we I should have talked about it last week, but I I didn't. Um, in their second to last episode of the season, they took the pain in the ass um, boyfriend character of Hilary Duff and had him get smashed to a pulp at a construction site by a flying piece of debris, and it was awesome. It was hilarious and delightful. It was an episode all centered around Game of Thrones and who's going to die and everything in, in this basically a, a Game of Thrones parody that is the show within the or the a book within the show, a series of books within the show. Um so the, that sort of tongue in cheek, playful um approach to this problem character for the show was, I think, a lot of fun. And so then in this episode we have them responding to that with Liza um coming clean to to her friends and about the fact that the fiance was cheating and that's why she was there confronting him when he got hit by the debris. Um, That doesn't go well. That leaves sparks her to leave and get a taste of what life is when she's not lying about her age and everything all the time. Um, So basically completely unsatisfying in a career sense, because she's working at a department store, but she doesn't have to take the energy to constantly be lying about her age. Um, I think it was um, a good idea that was rushed because it gets, done and then undone in the course of a single episode um they push they also push a love triangle just very much out of the blue that they've been building towards for a while subtextually but having charles go to get her at the department store and say hey we want you back at the store and now that you don't work for me i can just kiss you um is like I've been shipping them for a while, or at least enjoying the the way that the show was approaching those characters and the the tension that they were clearly building towards in a love triangle sense. Um, but again, it didn't feel earned; it just kind of happened. And um, I think they could have, they must have had a better take. I think they had to have had a better take because there was almost no chemistry in the actual kiss, and they've had the actors have had fantastic chemistry previously. So, so basically, I enjoyed this finale, enjoyed this season very much, but it felt a little rushed. So I'm hoping that because it's already been renewed, it was renewed before the season, I think even started for season three. I hope they can get a really clear sense of the arc they want this next season to go. Um, I hope they get a sense of if they're going to have a fourth season uh, early on. So they, I feel like a show like Younger, you can only build so long. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this, Noel, because so much of the premise is centered on nobody knows her age at her job, and if they found out, She'd probably get fired, so she has to pretend to be so much younger. I don't know that the show can sustain without that central tension, but the longer it goes, trying to give her reasons for not having at least come out to her best friend, if not um, some of these other people she's in, she's involved with uh, to various extents about her age, the the harder it is to identify with her or appreciate her or just believe that a character who has this kindness and warmth at her heart is still comfortable lying to everyone. I don't know that they can really sustain that very long. Do you have any any thoughts on, on shows like that that have this, like, inherent conflict at the center?
1: Sure. I mean, a lot of shows have, like, this kind of premise that they either have to scuttle, basically, and just become something else, which, I mean, Younger might be able to do. I haven't watched it since the first season um so they might be able to get away with that and you would be able to speak to that better than i could uh but if you're saying that she'll get fired if she they people find out her age then probably not um but then the other thing is is just if they lean too hard on it then it just kind of becomes like a weird crutch and you end up with something like how i met your mother which goes on for seasons upon seasons and the framing device just becomes increasingly burdensome and you don't want that either so i think that the answer at least based on how you've been describing it especially within this context is that the show kind of maybe needs to wrap up sooner rather than later which isn't a good thing since people are really enjoying it and it gives people a sudden foster fix and who doesn't need a sudden foster fix but if the premise is becoming a problem or could become a problem then there has to be a clever way to deal with
0: that, and expand your scope. Do you think that they can do that? Well, I think... I think I just need... I need her to tell her best friend.
1: Right. So she hasn't told Hillary Duff?
0: No. Well, because they started an imprint called Millennial Press, all oh, about and geared okay. towards millennials, and she's, help, She's like, the number two on that. Okay. So that gave them a reason to... She was going to tell her in the premiere of the season, but that gave her a strong reason why she couldn't. Okay. So that I can buy that, but that's really at a breaking point at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, Cause I think Hillary Duff would make it work. Um, And because the, that character is the one in charge of the imprint and it's her name and it's her thing and as opposed to both of them. It's not like they're co-running it. Yeah. I feel like they could get away with it. Sure. Um, and the other, the other part of it is they're building towards this romance with like her two levels up boss. Um, who's much older and i think his perceived the perception of the difference in their age that he has um is can lead to a lot of really interesting dynamics there if they want to explore it where she gets concerned well, maybe he's interested in me because he thinks i'm this younger person but really what he's attracted to is the fact that they are so much more similar they have all this he thinks that she's just like really um, wise beyond her years you know and but like there could be some interesting you know thing where if he finds out then how does that affect their dynamic and everything and i think there could be a lot of really fun stuff to play with there but also again it just feels like something that they're gonna if they start going down that road they're just gonna have to like the the story needs to culminate in her telling him or else we just start to not like her because she's lying to all of these people and it's a tricky balancing act to walk um, the fact that they then have the younger boyfriend who comes back at the end of the the finale, who and then then this like theoretically much more age appropriate love interest, and then this much younger love interest, like they they can really play with that tension. And I'm sure they will in the next season. But she's honest with one, and she's not honest with the other, and so it, it becomes difficult to really root for both of them if when you don't have that level of honest communication you can't have that level with both of them so i I just i feel like they're coming towards some i just don't know how much life there is in this premise um when it so much lying is necessitated as opposed to being able to just comment on the differences in, in these ages and these experiences
1: right and they could still do the latter if no if she wasn't lying but it just becomes much more um, it just becomes too. It may just become too much of the show.
0: Well, and you can also have her tell you know her best friend, um, but they keep it on the DL and and just not mention her age. Just let people no. assume that she's younger, and no. that's fine. There's no reason that needs to be an issue. And the same, then you know, there are certain characters who more need to know, and certain characters who don't need to know. Um, especially with her coming back to like leaving and then getting rehired, that would have been a perfect opportunity for if. One of she had told one of the people so that way she could get hired again with outlying on her resume, you know, uh-huh, like that would have been an opportunity to do that, but they didn't do that. they glaze over that, so instead, you still have that central conflict of i i I applied under a false resume, false credentials, all of this stuff, you know, so like I feel like there's just i don't know i'm I'm probably worrying about this stuff too much, I just enjoy it as the confection that because I enjoy watching it every single week. Um, I look forward to it coming back for season three. I'm glad it got renewed so so early so I didn't have to, you know, sit on tenderhooks and wait, but um, yeah, I, I am wondering about that, about how long they can, it feels like a bit of a souffle, I don't know how long they can sustain it.
1: No, I think that's fair, and I mean, the fact that I, it you can still enjoy it, mm-hmm. but eventually those seams and these questions are going to become issues yeah. for you, and I mean, that's going to affect your enjoyment. So, no, I, th- I think you're i think you're okay but i mean we're both prone to over analysis yeah so um me me telling you it's okay
0: <laughs> isn't <laughs> it's not really helpful best, yeah yeah indicator because of
1: course i would say that
0: well we are both prone to over analysis um and unfortunately this week i'm behind on broad city i look forward to catching up with it but uh let's apply some of that over analysis to this episode so what happens in philadelphia and what did you think of this episode
1: Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, What happens in this episode is that Abby and Alana head to Abby's hometown, which is this uh, suburb of Philadelphia. And Tony Danza is um, Abby's dad, which is great. (laughs) Um, And it took me a minute to recognize him because I haven't seen Tony Danza in a while. And his haircut was a little weird. Anyway, so they go to um, Abby's house because he's turning... Her room which is still like frozen in time so there's like a jtt poster up and a grateful dead poster and basically everything that you would expect from abby's like high school days are still there in- including her dreadlocks from high school which smell like pepperoni which you anyway <laughs> um so she finds this wad of cash that she meant to give to a classmate And the bulk of the episode is spent trying to find that classmate who was in a really terrible accident. And Abby did a -a dance-a-thon to raise money for her. And Abby just never gave it to her, just (laughs) by accident. So the entire episode is Abby and Alana like traversing this suburb of Philadelphia to find this woman to give her the money. Um, But there's a number of good runners dealing with Will Smith's mom, and also a limited edition John Bonet Beanie, commemorative Beanie Baby That uh, Alana immediately latches onto to sell on eBay And so we get Alana um, speaking um, Chinese Yiddish um, On the phone to various like people trying to buy it from her And it's just really, really funny stuff um, So no, it was a really solid episode I'm eager for you to watch it But it made me laugh a whole lot It made me laugh a whole lot It was a really, really great episode
0: Looking forward to it That sounds like a lot of fun Like they were saying These different elements I'm like Yep I'll enjoy that Yep I'll enjoy that yeah. Jumping in a beanie, beanie Say Gonna enjoy that uh, So I, I'll Oh I'll...
1: Go ahead No the other thing to tell you Is that <sighs> Abby had a huge crush on Ross Geller Oh
0: man Of course no, she No
1: there's did. A, There's a little There's a little There's a like Little heart Photo frame Of like a David Schwimmer Friends promo art and it, it's right next to her bed. <laughs> and it's so great. It's so great. <laughs> that's pretty fabulous.
0: That's That's, yeah, no. that's delightful. Okay. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to more episodes uh, coming up. Because there's a lot. Of, it's Easter weekend. And because we have a very Christian country that we're in, that's going to mean going affect some of our tv we're going to talk about the passion later in the episode but one of the shows that is airing an episode on easter sunday is the carmichael show looking forward to that uh but this week they had perfect storm and this was an episode all about uh like plan b pills and contraception emergency contraception um and uh and what, what did you think of this one how did it work for you well, first, um, how did you watch this episode?
1: Did you like watch it online, or like how did you watch this episode?
0: I uh, streamed it at, at uh, NBC.
1: Okay, so I recorded it from off the NBC, my NBC affiliate, and so I turned it off, uh, turned it on on my DVR, and I fast forward through the last little bit of um, uh, the kids kids talent show that's running with um, Steve Harvey right now. And so I get to a big black screen with white letters that says viewer discretion advised. And I'm just like, did I record the wrong thing? And no, then there's, there's the Carmichael show. And we're talking about broken condoms and going to get emergency contraception. I immediately went, Oh, right. America don't like to talk about birth control and contraception and also the a word. And of course, viewer discretion was advised for a sitcom. Of course it was, of course it was. So having that frame just kind of made me riled up. Um, but I really enjoyed Perfect Storm. Um, just from like the the double fun of the title of the Perfect Storm of oh we need a broken con broken condom we need to go get Plan B, and then also there's a major storm happening and that's why they they couldn't get it because the CVS is closed. Um, but no, I enjoyed the episode, um, just like we've, I've talked about before, just the fact that this shows a one-act that deals, well not a one-act, but feels like a one-act, that deals with um, like topical issues and that sort of thing, it just really resonates, and it becomes like a dialogue about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and how we respond to those things, and it was just a really, really good and thoughtful episode. It was a nice change of pace from uh, the Cosby episode, which we both felt was soft and i didn't think that this episode was no anywhere near as soft they weren't really pulling punches on how they talk to one another and i just enjoyed some of the jokes like uh what's your name having plan b on hand mm-hmm. in her house because she's a modern woman and i was just like that's terrific that's really just a huge thing for someone to say on television on broadcast television no less that yeah I, I i just keep plan b in my house because yeah it's shit i'm happens. a modern
0: freaking woman i'm married. Right. i love the i'm mary tyler moore i was like yes. yeah that's right you are oh, oh god no so well good.
1: i'm Mar- mary tyler moore with braids right mm-hmm. i died kate i i died it was so funny that was just a terrific line So, no, I really enjoyed this episode, and um, especially, and I'll get a little personal, I've had basically this exact same thing happen. Not the, I ended up in an attic with my my parents, but the same basic premise. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's a weird thing to deal with, and to like go, all right, how do we do this? And it's just like, oh, right, we we have plan B, it's $40, it's not $7,000, the world (laughs) is great. Yeah. But she wouldn't have flushed it down the toilet if it had cost seven thousand dollars. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So no, how did how did this episode work for you?
0: I thought it was really really a lot of fun. And and what this episode does is a little different than the, most of the previous episodes that I can think of, at least, is the way that it starts out, where it's like, okay, decision topic, you know, potentially controversial right. topic, answer resolved, and then it's the conversation comes in when Gerard and Maxine are prevented from like, acting on what they've decided. Right. They, they're they not looking for other feedback. They're not wanting to have a conversation. Right. Uh, and, and, and so I think that what that does, what that allows them to do is, whereas the, the rest of the show is centered on, let's talk about this. Let's get different perspectives. It's the, allow allows them to, again, like you say, stick more strongly to their guns and say, we're not asking you what you think about this. We're not, you know, we're not soliciting your advice or saying this is a tricky concept. We're saying this is what we think. And it's frankly, we respect you, but it's none of your business. Um, and you are wrong to deny us our rights, our medical rights. Uh, you know, like I, I, it allows them to, for a topic that's so um, significant to them, uh, to the different characters, to to have strong opinions and to not be uncertain. To you know, I think it feels more realistic and it feels more organic if there are some of these issues that that they can have a conversation about. They're not sure how they feel about guns. They're not sure how they feel about these different things. But certain things they are sure. They know. And unlike in the Cosby episode where it was just Maxine who said. No, I, this is, I'm absolute on this. This is exactly how I feel. And I don't want to, I don't need to have a conversation. Let's like, let's all shame Gerard because he disagrees with me. Um, this is, it's more balanced because, because it's, it's Gerard and it's Maxine on, on one side of the conversation and it's Gerard's mom on the other side who was just as firm in her beliefs. Um, and I think this is a slightly different dynamic and it's, it's good for that to come up every now and again.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I, I think you make a really good point about the fact that they are not looking for a discourse, which isn't something that I had noticed right off the bat. Um, but you telling me, I just went, oh, yeah, they did totally do that. That is a nice little switch. Yeah, that that did work really well. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree that this was a really nice change of pace, but I think the other key thing, and this is something that the show has done fairly consistently well, even though, like we talked about with the Cosby episode, Uh, With Maxine really being the only one and kind of being like poked at being the only one and being so strident in this is that the other points of view within Perfect Storm are generally well respected. And even if like Loretta Devine's character like comes around in the end um, or at least accepts the fact that she shouldn't have been doing this because it's their life and that sort of thing um it's still a respected perspective i mean they're upset with her but they're not like they're not going to like stop talking to her obviously but they're not like angry angry that she's so aggressively against them about this and i think that's really important when you're wanting to establish when you're wanting to do a show that's very much a discourse oriented basically is that you don't want these perspectives to feel short shrifted Or to feel like they're they're straw man arguments, basically. And the show's done a fairly consistently good job of avoiding making their characters feel like straw people. And that's really, really important.
0: Yeah. Well, and in a climate where there's so much um, intensity and passion and unwillingness at times to listen to other perspectives, and I'm guilty of that, too, I... hmm. Want to swear at North Carolina right now. Want to do it, but not gonna. Um, do you want
1: me to do it? Because I don't have any qualms about yeah. it. Plus, I'm from the South. I can just say, oh, bless North Carolina's heart. Yeah. And see, it's totally fine. I can totally get away with that.
0: Yeah. No. Uh, but. <laughs> when it Not is... that I can
1: say anything. Georgia's passed a re- passed one of those religious freedom laws, so. Yeah, well, yeah. it <laughs> hasn't been signed yet. It as hasn't of, been signed as yet, of and of it when probably we record, won't be. Fingers yeah.
0: crossed. But. I, in a climate that is so divisive and polarized, I think it's very good to have a show like the Carmichael Show that can approach the, some of these topics. Yeah. And have the characters not come to an agreement, not come to understanding, and yet still respect each other. Yeah. And say that we strongly disagree on this, but I still acknowledge your personhood, your hu- humanity, and I still want you in my life. Um, I think that's a little bit of that. A lot of that would be great, but just seeing that in an episode like this, I think, uh, is a, a nice and a strong note to end on, the way that they, they do.
1: Plus, I mean, just the joke of Maxine and the mom raising the baby by themselves
0: yeah, <laughs> is
1: hilarious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah, that's... And, and pivoting, like you said, like we, the show so often does, to a different topic of, do you want kids... Yes. And how much of a deal breaker is that? And should I be a deal breaker right now? Cause you don't want a kid right now, but you will want one down the line. And are you wasting your time? Like, I think that also the way that they turned into another very, um, Kanadi issue there, yeah. uh, was also, also worked well. And then they were able to come back to, I thought that that was all very good, but I'm going to use that point to pivot to our next show, which is Jane, the Virgin. Um, and chapter 37, we had, um, the resolution of Rogelio's, um, uh, capture and you know being held hostage and um i thought you know that that worked really well um having in the little moment they gave him and Zo i thought also was really nice um i was a, i was less convinced with pablo alonso segura he was a bit too like i wanted a less comedic figure for alba i wanted i loved him you loved him okay <laughs> how would you feel about this episode
1: uh, I'm sorry I interrupted. No, I just loved him. Um, I thought the episode was fine. Um, it wasn't as firing as all, on all cylinders as um previous couple of previous weeks episodes have been for me. But no, um, I enjoyed the episode um quite a bit. I was glad that the Rogelio um plot has been resolved because it was it was gonna if it had gone on any longer it would have been going on way too long. And, but I think the reason why I'm o- as okay with it as I am is that, um, Camille just knocks it out of the park at the end of the episode where he's talking, uh, with, uh, Gina Rodriguez's Jane to about just how afraid he was and how scared he basically still is. And that's just huge and really emotional moment for him. And, it was just really really great And I was really I was really happy to see this kind of Silly plot Suddenly have a really big emotional moment And I thought that that paid off really well And a lot of credits due to the actor um, Is due to Camille, uh, Camille. Jaime Camille yeah, Camille yeah, Making that work basically And without, without In lesser hands That big emotional moment I think would have been Really unearned I think Uh, But the rest of the episode was um, fun. This was a weird episode for... This was a weird night of programming for the CW in which the the Bechdel... um, Bechdel. Bechdel, thank you. The Bechdel test was mentioned twice in two hours and then was just counted off in the episode, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So, yeah, no, it was was a fine enough episode. Um, I'm a little worried about... um, Not Rogelio, but um, Petro and Raphael... Getting screen time now that the babies are here, and what that storyline is going to look like going forward. But yeah, um, but getting back to the curse and Segura, yeah, I am all about this. I, I'm sorry, Kate. I am just all about the fact that this guy is cursed. I am all about the fact that he is an aging Don Juan, and that Alba's like into it. Yeah, uh, and. I like that Alba's into it, because it it lets Alba, like, be into something kind of silly, which she doesn't really get to do a whole lot on this show. And that's kind of the big reason I'm okay with it, is that she gets to be in something kind of t- telenovela that's silly and not telenovela that's dramatic, like being pushed down some stairs by a Ukrainian crime mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I was really excited about that, and I like the cross-cutting of the end of... He's so cursed, and she, the more in more involved with her that she gets, the stronger the curse gets. Yeah, no, I'm I'm fully on board with this for now. I'm sure in three weeks, if this is still going, I'm gonna be like, oh god, I can't do this anymore. But for right now, I am all in for it. Uh, so yeah, no, tell me how you were feeling about it because you're you're not a big fan of the Segura, and I totally am.
0: <laughs> okay, basically, Alba's awesome. And she has been punishing herself and being, keeping herself alone and at least romantically lonely for so long. I need her to get, get, have the best partner ever. So if he can have some depth and humanity, then sure, absolutely. I'm down with her, like having a thing for this goofy guy, but he, (laughs) he is a cartoon. Yeah. And she deserves better than the cartoon is where I'm at with it. So, again, Rojelio can absolutely be a cartoon, but, as, but he also has depth and he also has human. And they did, they go out of their way to show that with that character, too. Uh, yes. In this episode specifically, but even just early on in his um, – when he joined the show, when they, they started writing him in more. Um, yeah. So, so I think that's where – I'm just protective of Alba. I want her to just have a beautiful, wonderful, positive – experience um you know getting back into the dating scene with someone worthy of her. And who
1: isn't a priest?
0: And who isn't a priest? <laughs> yes, there's that as well. I agree absolutely about the Rogelio stuff. Um the 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 idea of him being able to sustain like can keep himself sane through his, you know method, you know method acting or whatever um while he was in the stress situation and then finally being able to once his body, um, once he feels safe enough that he can start processing and that, that it hitting him later felt very uh, relatable and like that rang true to me. Um, and, and just the, because it was such a heightened uh, back and forth with that stalker, um, because they played it so strongly for comedy, I, they needed to play it strongly for drama the yeah. after effect of it to really make sure it didn't come off as just something silly when this guy's being drugged every night. Um, and who knows what's happening, you know, to to him or what, you know, who knows what, you know, what exactly he's experiencing. And certainly he doesn't know. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think, I think it was that, that ending of the episode and the, the care from Jane and her response to Michael's parents, you know, uh, and, and how, that you know, that she's so willing to sacrifice that relationship with Michael's parents because her father needs her. Um, I think all kind of came together in a really powerful way. So, yeah, I was also very on board with that stuff.
1: And I really feel like that. I understand. I, I understood where Michael's parents were coming from. But at the same time, I mean, you have to respect someone who's like that devoted to her parents. Oh, yeah. And, well,
0: and, th- and I'm sorry. Just tell them her father was held hostage by a stalker.
1: Right. And I mean, get over it, white white people. Yeah, well,
0: get over <laughs> it, jackasses. Yeah. But yeah.
1: And I mean, Michael's clearly okay with it. Plus, yeah. I mean, also at the same time, that's Michael's bro that she was si-
0: that she yeah. was with. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the romance. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't respond when I told him you were getting married. Something's clearly wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, let's move on to our last show of of the week in comedy. That's craziest girlfriend. Josh has no idea where I am. Um, I thought this one was fun. We're, the, we're, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. the The show was a little was flagging on the music a little bit. I was underwhelmed by the one song we do get here. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, and i also was underwhelmed by the uh, Christmas Carol sort of approach of this episode yes, yes um i you know it felt very dream
1: ghost right
0: dream ghosts yeah, yeah. It, it felt very um just manufactured i guess um so but but i do i like what we get but like why We're i guess we're supposed to be wondering and like oh because maybe it's magic but maybe it's real she shouldn't know anything that she didn't know previously. So she shouldn't know that her mother was defending her to her father. She shouldn't, yes. you know, like, so I was having trouble with, with really getting into the, the episode. Cause it just, I could see the seams too much in it, but I do think the overall message of it, you know, like why, did like she shouldn't know that Greg is looking up, you know, uh, hospitals, hospitals
1: and morgues. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I just, I, I couldn't really get past that element of it. Well, how did, is that just me? How'd you feel about this one? No. Um,
1: I've, I felt really distanced from this episode as soon as they did the dream ghost aspect of it. Um, in part because I was actually looking forward to her having five hours of th- therapy. Because, mm. um, again, we agree that she needs therapy. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I was just... I immediately like felt placed out of the episode as soon as it was like, we're a dream ghost. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And then, like you said, they did the Christmas Carol thing. And I went... Oh okay well that's that's fine I I guess let's see how you guys Spin this but I think the Like you were saying is just like The reality of it was just Really awkwardly Executed because Based on how like Dickens Structures his narrative then it's just like Okay fine there's that element of the supernatural And it's a self contained thing So if he wants Scrooge to realize that He knows all this stuff about Um, the Tiny Tim's family and all the... Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Because it's a self-contained unit, but this is like an ongoing serialized television show in which Dream Goats now exists and can show you things that are happening in West Covina while you're on an airplane to New York. And you will know them.
0: And how is she a Dream Ghost if Dr. Copian is alive? Yeah, well, I mean, she's like a figment of her imagination
1: yeah but yeah it's it's still just really awkwardly it's really awkwardly done and like you said and like we were discussing like the song isn't particularly good and it's the only one that we really get um which isn't like i'm sure the show will come back really strong and once they have like a summer to like be like all right we got some songs we're gonna be able to get ahead and this that sort of thing But, yeah, I just wasn't crazy about this um, and how it was executed. I like the fact that Rebecca realized that she does indeed have this terrific support system. But at the same time, I also feel like she kind of knew that already. So I'm not entirely sure what the epiphany was beyond the fact that she didn't need to leave.
0: Yeah.
1: we knew she wasn't going to leave. And even if she did like actually leave and stay in New York, she wasn't going to like stay, stay in New York because West Covina. Cause that's what the summer
0: hiatus is for. That's not like right. the show is in West Covina. So she's not going to leave West Covina. Yeah.
1: Right. So it was just kind of like we've been talking about, um, of the show dealing with the fact that it got a few extra episodes and has to tell a story but can't tell like a big story and so it feels like they're just kind of like trying to pull on a number of threads to tie them together into something and it's not coming together really really well at least right now yeah
0: however what i did love uh yeah. is is the the message not being oh i should have gone for this guy but like no it's not about the guys yes oh my god it's not about the guys
1: wasn't that that, was, that was really nice it was that like was great. you can love other things and yeah i think that message of yeah you really love theater what happened to that and that sort of thing and i mean that could just mean that season two is her being a lawyer part-time and then running the west covina, west covina community theater and i am so there for that case. oh
0: totally the daryl you know <laughs> would get in on it and it would yes, be amazing you would. oh yeah. god
1: okay no that's what i want i want I want the law firm to shut down and become a community theater.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It, w- it would be, that would be fabulous. I would be super on board for that. Uh, well, what wins your week in comedy then?
1: Um, I really want to give it to the Carmichael show because it hit a lot of like really personal like levels this week for me, as I mentioned, but uh, I just, Clancy Brown is the red death mm-hmm. on the Venture Brothers. Like put that episode over the top for me because yeah, it was just, it was really, it was a really solid ending to a really solid season. So I'll give it to the Venture Brothers uh, finale uh, this week. What about you?
0: Yeah, I'm giving it to Venture Brothers as well. Uh, who knows when we'll have the opportunity to do it again, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
0: We could throw some love <laughs> to Archer next week. So Venture Brothers, yeah. it is. <laughs> now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. in genre, we're going to talk uh, first about Daredevil Season 2 again, only this time we'll talk talking about the entire season. Then we'll move on to The Walking Dead, Twice as Far, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Parting Shot, and we'll wrap up our weekend genre with Arrow, Broken Hearts. So first up here is Daredevil. We've now seen the entire second season of Daredevil. If you do not want to be spoiled, skip ahead. Look in the show notes. We'll have timestamps for every show. You can skip to the next show that you've watched, or if you subscribe to the M4A feed, you can just press the next button to skip to the next chapter. Uh, that's why we have them, to avoid spoilering, and hopefully this uh, digression has given you enough time to get to your <laughs> iPod or various podcast playing device and skip forward, because we're going in with spoilers. Uh, we talked last week about Daredevil, the first handful of episodes. How did the rest of the season play out for you, Noel? Oh,
1: uh, I, I'm sorry, were we talking about Daredevil? Um, yeah, no, um, I got really, really bored pretty quickly, um, especially, like, around episode 7, where they find the big pit in the building Yeah. That's never which addressed doesn't come again, yeah. which I was just like, what the fuck, show? But no, so the big pit doesn't get addressed, at least I'm pretty sure it didn't get addressed. Nope. No, okay, great. So, yeah, I was just really bored, and I will acknowledge that I was primed to be a little bored because the hand and the chaste and that entire part of the Daredevil mythology in the comics has always bored me to tears. It's by far and away the least interesting thing about Daredevil for me. And so having that play such a prominent part in the show this season because Punisher just like gets regulated in the background really quickly after those first four episodes, even if there is a trial for him, it just feels second. It feels very B plotty, which is terrible because it's actually way more interesting than the actual A plot. Um, but yeah, I just ended up feeling really bored um, by the seventh episode. Uh, that structural issue where these Marvel Netflix shows end up feeling kind of bloated and saggy. Um, kicks in, like, with episode 7 and doesn't really let up until, like, episode 11 or 12. Yeah, that feels about right. And so I was just kind of bored by all of it. The only thing that got me through those saggy episodes was, and I did not know he was coming back. You can tell me if you knew. I had no idea Vincent D'Onofrio was coming back for a few episodes. And that was a pleasant surprise uh, for me because I just went, oh, hey, Someone I really like. <laughs> and, but yeah, I was just really kind of let down, narratively speaking, um, by this season. And that was really frustrating. Performance-wise, again, everything worked really, really well, I thought. Uh, burnthal as the Punisher was much more surprising than I, surprisingly good than I was expecting, to be honest. In part because I'm not a big fan of the Punisher, but I also am not—I basically only know him from the first season of Walking Dead, in which I thought he was kind of bad. And so here, he's just really great. He's really on point. And this is probably by far and away the most I've ever liked The Punisher in any medium. Um, but uh, really, for me, the big—was uh, Henson's foggy, uh, just— was given such rich material this season. Uh he really stepped up both as a character and as a performance. And I kept wanting the show to be about Foggy. And Me too. that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> well... When I'm just like, oh, ninjas and Electra. And this is also where I kinda admit that I've never really liked Electra all that much. Uh but I liked uh Yang Young's performance. Even if I I understand that a lot of people just didn't like this thing with Elektra. And we need to talk just about Elektra probably a little bit, considering that she's basically just a big plot device, presumably to set up the Defenders, I'm guessing, maybe? I don't know. Um, But yeah, that was the other thing, and I'll stop talking in just a second to say that the tail end of this season, especially with all the mysticism of The Hand... Felt very much like play setting to get Iron Fist moving forward. And that's not a good thing either. Yeah. That this the season felt very much hijacked in the same way Arrow and Flash felt hijacked by needing to set up Legends of Tomorrow. This felt really hijacked by needing to set up some of the elements of Iron Fist, presumably. But also I'm presu- also assuming that we're setting up the Defenders, maybe. They haven't really said when that's going to happen yet. And maybe this is season three of Daredevil, but I kind of feel like they're doing this for Defenders. I honestly don't know. So I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> what did you feel about this?
0: Well, I think that they should have either done Punisher and Electra and Foggy as like these three elements battling for his soul. Yes. I or like that idea. they should have done Electra and the Hand and not done Punisher. Yeah. Because they had way too much plot and not enough character in yeah. the the back half of the season and that's something that i talk about with ryan mcgee over on talking tv this this past week uh, but i actually am curious what you thought of electra when she was first introduced because i actually really liked her first few episodes when she was it was great yeah when it's about her yeah and her connection with, with Matt and especially contrasting what he wants in his life with, with her versus with Karen and these different elements. of like And, and, and then how that plays in with Foggy and the law firm and she's drawing him away from the law firm and, and all that. I think that that could have been really – was actually really strong and really interesting, a lot of fun. Um, yeah. But then suddenly you've got just obligatory ninjas. Ninjas should never be obligatory. They should always be freaking awesome. <laughs> Well, they're like
1: dead, or they're able to hide their heartbeats. It wasn't super clear to me. Yeah, well, they're it just, not dead. Well, maybe they are because Nobu's not dead. Nobu's not alive. Alive? Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. who, who the fuck knows?
0: When really they just live? keep streaming in and there's and they're faceless and and uh, and they just are there to have something for people to punch. Yeah. Um, and so that Elektra can get killed so she can die in his arms so that she can get brought back to life and they're like vampires. Th- like, no, that is all window dressing. That is not a character progression. I also think that they didn't do a great job with Electra's character progression because they introduced her as one very specific thing. And then they they have her theoretically go on a journey where she's choosing how Matt sees her and fighting against it. But they do all of these big turns with her in the course of, like, a single episode. Yes. Um, and it really... They sacrificed... Um, they start out with this really interesting character and a strong performance, also. I just commend the casting of like, this entire season. And tying in with Stick and issues of abandonment. Like, there, there's so much they could have done there, but instead they're like, because love stuff. They, come on, guys, you can do better than that. Can they, though? I I think they can because look at how they did such a good job with Punisher in those first four. They did at least for me. They did such a good job with Elektra in the in her first few episodes. Yeah. I mean, look, I I really like the way they used Karen and and connect had her connected to Punisher based just on her trying to process, you know, having killed a guy last season and Mm -hmm. like so for me, there's a lot of stuff that they started to do well, and even just the stuff with Foggy, but then they dropped the ball. So like the stuff the relationship with Foggy, he just. he he gets this great stuff to play, but then they just put him on a loop and he keeps saying the same stuff to Matt every episode. Which is why I ask, but can they? (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Because
1: I had weird issues with season one as well. Uh, I had less sag issues, saggy issues with season one than I did here. But I was just like, I'm not convinced that this is a show that works all that well for the most part. I've, like like we said, like, and like I said even last week, like the first four episode arc, basically, of doing Punisher is fantastic. It's really good, apart from the fact that, okay, now that we've watched all of it, I can say what really irritated me about the fourth episode, which was they leave the dog in the catacombs, Kate. <laughs> he cares so much about the dog that he's not willing to let the dog die, but they leave the dog in the catacombs. Mm-hmm. Which, that means that the dog's just there so that the Irish mobster looks really mean because he's willing to kill a dog. Yep. And it's just like, but then you don't care about the dog. Sorry, that just drove me up the wall. Anyway. (laughs) It was just, yeah, no, it was just like, like you said, ninjas should never be obligatory. And they're so obligatory. And it's just really boring. And I think the big problem with me, especially as the season progressed is that that tension between Matt being pulled in a couple of different ways felt significantly slack and that he never really felt like he really cared all that much about the law firm after a certain point within the season. It just stopped mattering.
0: He never felt like he cared about the law firm outside of like the opening scene when they come in and there's the pie and there's the bananas. Like, he cares about the people who are in his office in that scene. Yeah. Uh, that's it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he's the one, like, that's kind of pushing this Punisher case. And then he's just like, oh, yeah, I kind of don't care about this because my hot Greek girlfriend's back in town. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that's that's not interesting. And, yeah, so I just, it felt really slack to me. And I I really had a – I, like, rushed through the episodes this this today, basically, so that we could talk about this. And I just went, wow, this is really boring and not interesting. And I'm not entirely sure, presuming that it gets a third season, and it probably will, um, that I'm not entirely convinced that I'm going to watch it. Because I'm not sure I want to do this again.
0: Fair enough. I, I definitely yeah. liked it more than you did. Yeah. Um, but I also think that I would – I mean, I'd probably binge it again next year if it hits, gets another season. But I think that also might help me if I didn't binge it uh, because then I won't feel like, oh, now we're going to delay the story for another ten minutes so we can kick some ninjas in the face. Because um, there was just a – just a rote element to the the – fight scenes like every time he goes anywhere there's always he's never sneaking and there's always ninjas um so if i was spacing them out more that might have felt more like a treat and less like an obligation um so so maybe i'm curious from to hear from people who like down the line if they space out the show more if that affects the way that they view it and their reaction Uh, but i definitely i think i definitely liked it more than you but i still i mean I, i don't disagree with anything you're saying
1: yeah yeah, I'm just having a really strong reaction to this In part because of like the discourse around the show um, And also in part because um, Unshameless plug um, Corey ranked all the Netflix original shows over at TV.com And he put Daredevil at number 7 Which I think is probably fair uh, For the Netflix shows um, Maybe a little too high for my personal taste But overall, I mean But, I mean, he's just getting raked over the coals by lots of people for raking it as number seven. And I'm just like, guys, this show is fine to so-so depending on the episode you get. And depending on, like, the broadest view possible that you want to take on it. And I also even feel like that this season, even the fight scenes were not that, like, super impressive this year compared to last season's. Uh, a couple of instances signed, mainly like castles fight in the prison uh, hallway. But again, they kept going back to hallway fights this, this year, which I thought was a mistake. Uh, because I just kept going, but you guys did this a lot better last year. Um, the only other thing I'll say is that, by God, every show needs Rosario Dawson in
0: Because,
1: mm. God, she's great. And thank goodness
0: she's going to be on Luke Cage a lot. <laughs> mm. I just think the main... For me, Daredevil is a show... That has not come together to its potential.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that
0: because <laughs> I think it's got a lot of potential and there's a lot of stuff there for me. There's a lot of stuff they're doing right, but rarely all in the same episode. And you know, like so you get these really strong even guest performances like yeah. for one episode, two episodes. Um, you know, I, like I love how much of Karen's story seems like it's going to just be her being the girlfriend kind of figure. But instead, it's something very different um, and and, and very unrelated. It's it's this this exploration of self that she kind of has and her purpose. That's all happening behind the scenes and outside the frame. And maybe that's where the frame should have been. Yeah. Um. So so it it kind of reminds me of Orphan Black in a way where there's just these elements that this should be a better show than it is. So it's you can either when you're watching it, depending on the episode for me, when I'm watching it depending on the episode, either I'm seeing the space around what they're doing and how much better it should be and it's frustrating, or I'm able to enjoy all the stuff that they're doing well. Uh and have I'm able to have fun with that and enjoy that. So that's sort of I kinda go back and forth between those two.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a fair I think I have a similar thing, but I I think I'm just like so hyper focused Mm -hmm. acknowledgedly hyper focused on the fact that this show like you said could be a lot better and then i'm just like it should be a lot better and i'm really upset that it's not a lot better and i think that's where i'm coming from with this is that it detracts from the better stuff and then i just get caught up in like random things where in like episode i want to say 11 where electra is fighting in the airplane hangar Mm-hmm. There's just like four scenes between her starting the fight and us getting back to the fight. And I forgot that she was in a fight. And yep. I just went, that's not great structuring. That's not great editing and structuring of your episode. That I'm just like, oh, right, she has this fight going on. I completely forgot because there are like four four long scenes in between that. and it's I think they that's...
0: had all of the plot. Right, exactly. It was yeah. just like,
1: oh, we needed to do all of this stuff. And I was just like, Oh, right, that, that that was a thing that was happening. And, yeah, so I'm just... This isn't a show that is put together. And it's not a show where, like with Jessica Jones, where I was kind of willing to defend the saggy bits and, like, discuss what, what I felt like the show was doing and how that was working for me. And more so, like, this show has key structural problems for me and... I can't get past those issues.
0: Yeah. That's fair enough. And I think that's actually a great place to jump to our next show, which is the walking dead twice as far. And, um, we've been talking about the hundred in the last few weeks in the podcast. Let's add another list, another character to the, uh, dead lesbians on TV list. Um, but anyone can die Kate anyone can die anyone can die and and this is a prime example of the fact that the hundred uh response is not about a fact just the fact that a character died because if you look at the response to this it has not been anywhere near the same you know it shows you the difference in handling of two different character deaths on tv but that was a big part of this episode as was um the other big thing i would say would be what we got with carol uh How did you feel about this episode? And were you uh, upset or bummed about them killing off Denise? Oh, I was a little bummed that they killed off Denise because
1: I don't have, like, a huge connection to Denise like I have to most of the show's characters, obviously. But Mary Weaver is awesome. (laughs) I have a connection to Mary Weaver. (laughs) Right. I have a connection to Mary Weaver, and I really liked the character. Um, What I got to see of the character, basically this season and i was really fascinated by her journey this season this season within this episode and um one of the other things was just but as soon as she like survived the car thing with the zombie in the car to get the soda and the cooler and everything i just went oh you're gonna die some other way in like two minutes aren't you Mm. And then she did, and I just went, oh, show. I haven't watched you in five years, but, but, I got you, type of thing. Um, no, I just, I didn't really like this episode a whole lot, on the whole. Um, I had no context for who Nerdy Guy in the, with the mullet was. Um, even though I had heard of him, I just didn't know who he was. Because <laughs> I think this is the first time I've seen him within this stretch of episodes. Um, so I was just like, I don't know what's happening here. And also, Abraham, why did you let this guy walk home by himself? Also, show, why did he get kidnapped off screen to do this little standoff at the end? Because that was really fucking cheap. And I I asked a friend of mine how often the show did this sort of thing. And she wasn't entirely sure. So my question for you as we transition, and you can give like a more veteran viewer perspective on this, whereas I was just like, this was a really nice character study for Denise, and but I still just kind of didn't like this episode anyway. But by the end, I was just like, this is bad. So tell me how you felt, and please tell me that The Walking Dead doesn't do that kind of bullshit with people get captured off screen so we can have a standoff all well, that often.
0: They've done it twice in the span of these uh, what six episodes. So that gives you your answer. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, right. Because they did it with, um... Carol. Maggie and
0: Carol, yeah. Maggie
1: and Carol. Even though
0: that felt a little different, just because... They we were least... actively going into the territories of the
1: group, yeah. Right, and we also, like, still got to see it, like, in the next episode. Yeah. Right.
0: They, they don't do that all the time, but it is a thing that they are comfortable doing. Not infrequently, I would say. Uh, when okay. the situation you know, arises and they can do that. They don't have any qualms doing that. Okay. Um, yeah, I actually, I liked some of the stuff that they let Denise do. I was so excited when they let her, because of course, her she went to medical school as the background of the character, but then she decided to become a psychiatrist instead. Okay, And so that's why she has some medical training. That makes
1: training. so much more sense. Thank you. It was yeah. kind of driving me up the wall. Like I was just like, but you have some medical training, but you're not a doctor. Fine, you're a nurse. And Oh, so she was a psychiatrist. Okay. Yeah, okay. so that's why
0: at the end when she's like, this is what I actually do. This is what I know. There's a reason I decided to go with the two of you because you need it and you make me feel safe and... This stuff. And I, because I, they don't do stuff like that on the show very often. And it's really great to see characters who actually do have insight into interactions. You know, that's the thing that we very rarely get. The only other example I can think of is the, the standalone episode we got with Morgan when he had his like giant flashback episode just about how he had like what he had been doing to get from like the kind of feral state we had previously seen him in to this like new, like kind of zen. Yeah, you know, kind of state that he was in. Um, there there was a lot of you know kind of psychology and philosophy in that. But um, I actually really liked that they let Denise use her you know her other training, her non medical training, and then of course it gets interrupted with, uh, arrow to the eye. Um, yeah, this was just kind of meh for me. I thought I like the stuff we got with Carol. I think uh that that shot with Morgan towards the end, where it's like, oh man, she is espousing my philosophy and actually sticking to it while I'm not willing to leave was a great little moment for him. And I, I am interested to see how that spurs things on um, for Morgan moving forward. I don't buy for a moment that Carol's off the show. I'm not concerned about that. I don't know if you are. Um, No,
1: um, mainly because to me, this felt really, really rushed mm -hmm. um, based just on, again me not having context and basically carol having like this little bit of stuff from the no, past it is, like it's definitely two, three episodes I would agree. okay all right yeah. no i just i got that they were trying to go for a really big moment and um i didn't make that morgan connection but again i'm still like learning my ropes through the show but you explaining it it was just like yeah that's really interesting and that's probably what the show wanted and you guys didn't do enough to like really really earn that
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh that's yeah, I can totally see that for for you. Um and and the stuff with Eugene I enjoyed. Um it's Like where was that? Was that where was that mach- machine shop where they were? I don't know. And I think I need the show to more accurately or more concretely establish their level their their current level of safety going out on treks.
1: Yeah. I assume that it was outside the walls of their their community, but it was yeah. just like,
0: where the fuck are they? Are they just gallivanting off to like you know? Because having two different groups go off theoretically, like just on random things, just on a spur of the moment decision, feels like that's too many people, too many defend and defenders, you know, yeah. uh, away from the camp. Um, yeah, that's five people. Yeah, and they already have a crew out doing like a to a long lengthy run. That's where Tara is. Yeah. Um. So, if yeah, does that kind of raise? And the only reason that's happening is so that we can have another character get kidnapped, so that we can have a standoff. You know. Uh. So so just the seams were showing for me a bit in this. I like that we finally got some Eugene stuff. It's been too long for him. I like that we got some forward progress with the Abraham stuff. But um, I think they also overestimating how invested I am in Abraham's love life. Uh, I'm, I'm much, much more invested in Rosita actually becoming a character, sure, who has definition outside of, oh, she's a badass and she uh, is with uh, Abraham because that's that's all I know about her.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's all I know about her, and that's not that's not a good sign. It's not
0: a good sign. Not a good sign. <laughs> but I don't have any other thoughts on the episode other than it was uh, d- definitely a dip down for me.
1: Yeah. I'd agree that it was a dip down. Absolutely. Well,
0: what about agents of shield? We had another character, you know, you know, two characters in this case leaving. This is parting shot. This is the episode where they send oh, off two parting of their characters. Shot.
1: Now I get it. Oh, okay.
0: Yep. Okay. And shots, yeah. shot glasses. <laughs> yeah. yes. yes.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. This, this is, go on. this is where they <laughs>
0: set up their spinoff for Bobby and Hunter. Um, what, Did it feel like it for me It was a bit like oh and now they would Get out of this except that they want to do a spinoff With these characters so that's why They have to leave the team
1: Yes no that's exactly what it is I was talking about This with Caitlin um, who covers The show for us with tv.com a little bit before You and I recorded and My big takeaway with it is that This episode is so Set up to be About them being Disavowed that it's aggressively and stupidly about that um all the way to the point where bobby shoots a russian general and immediately surrenders as opposed to running away or knocking out everyone with her really cool bow sticks Mm -hmm. she just immediately surrenders so that we can have them get arrested and have them go through this process of being disavowed and just like that was some bullshit Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make any sense for the character, for the show, or anything. And it was just—it just really reaffirmed to me that I am not invested in basically anything that the show is doing now. Because, um, as we discussed, it was just like, what, what foothold do I have in this show? And I've enjoyed Bobby and particularly Hunter because Hunter brings a much-needed sense of levity to this show that's becoming increasingly self-serious. Um, and when it does get Kind of funny It's in like this kind of Not particularly funny But like Aren't we being kind of clever Type of thing And it's just like No you're you're kind of not And so basically Fitz and Simmons Feel like they're going to be Pushed to the back burner a bit now Because they've had their friend reset And Mac is Like kind of struggling to find a place And now even worse Because his two best friends Basically are gone and I'm just like, I don't have anything that's going to keep me tethered to the show. But now I kind of want to see the spinoff because I like both of these characters. Um, the only redeeming thing about this episode is that the last scene in the bar is actually really good. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of emotional. Like that lingering shot on Mac and them looking at one another. I was just like, oh, Got dusty nope. for me. Yep. The show, you... you you don't get to do this after this crap that you did for this past 45 minutes. You don't get to do... You don't haven't get... earned this! <laughs> you haven't earned this, and yet, and yet, I'm like... Ooh, ooh, allergies, so many allergies right now. And yeah, so it was just like that. Last scene's really, really great, um, but the episode as a whole doesn't earn it. But um, the only... Two other things I will say is that Bobby is sort of dead to me for her wanting mayonnaise on a cheeseburger. No, <laughs> but also, Hunter's mushroom soup sounds amazing. I yeah. desperately want to eat that soup because it I want sounds a bowl. great. Tell me how you felt about this.
0: Well, I wholeheartedly agree about dried porcini mushrooms. Uh, they are essential. <laughs> if I've never made mushroom soup, but I have made uh, a family beef stew recipe that is amazing. And it was made even more amazing when I used the time I used dry porcinis and then blended the the sauce rather than leaving in just the sliced mushrooms. It was mm, very good. So I would absolutely want a bowl of that soup. Um, and and I don't know the difference I have with the, from you with this is I don't know that I'm particularly interested in the spin off even. Okay. That's I fair. Like, I like those characters. I like those actors. Uh I mean, Adrienne Pilkey has shown how capable she is in yeah. pretty much everything I've seen her in. I haven't seen her in the movies where she's cast to do two Wait, things. Wait, so you, saw her,
1: you, you think she was capable in the Wonder Woman pilot?
0: I think she was more capable than the material in the Wonder Woman pilot. But in That's Lone fair. Star and in Friday Night Lights, <laughs> she's really, you know, uh, I think proven herself time and again. But the trouble is she is a very limited character. Yeah. Bobby is. And so if they can they they're, they're going to need to do some work. It's not something like you see them like Barry Allen shows up and you're like that's a show. Yeah. That's obviously a show. Um this is you've got two parts of a show but you need more. That's not enough. So they're going to have to be thoughtful in how they build the spin-off around them. Like are sure. they opening up a PI firm? Are they doing this? Are they going to no, like No, they're not. <laughs> do we do we know what the premise is? Um they have bounties on their heads.
1: And so they're, um, hence the title, Most Wanted. Supernatural,
0: um, kind of like Case of the Week, Town to Town. Right, with
1: Delroy, uh, Delroy Lindo helping them, uh, them helping him and him helping them.
0: Yeah, that doesn't interest me at all.
1: Yeah, I can understand that because the premise isn't that great. Yeah, I like and... Delroy Lindo, but they're Yeah, the well, who doesn't? Lot. He's great. And they yeah. did cast, like, um, Odette Ferrer today, mm-hmm. and he's fantastic as well. So, but yeah, it's just like, mm, I can understand where you're coming from with the spinoff. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: But look at who that leaves. Um, I really, I think Mac has the potential to be a really great character. Um, he, I agree that his part was the most moving because yes. he's just been so close with Bobby. I mean, they, they go back so much further than Mac does really with anybody else. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm on board with Mac. I'm actually on board with Daisy at this point. Um, don't care about Lincoln.
1: I was about to ask.
0: Don't care about May. How much on board with
1: Daisy are you? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Don't care about May at this point, which is... What is May even doing right now? Nothing. She's, she's being an automaton, is what she's being. Don't care about Coulson at this point. Care about Fitz and Simmons, but only if they're actually used and get to do stuff. Yeah. So, they're... They're bridge bunnies in this episode. I just don't care about these people. I don't care about Ward. I don't care about, uh, the Hydra. So, there's very little on the show that I'm still connected, and there's very few interpersonal dynamics that I'm particularly in which I'm particularly invested. So, uh, I will probably keep watching for now. Oh, to... that
1: was my next question. I was I'm surprised that you're going to keep watching because if I were in your position, I would just stop.
0: Well, it's just a habit, you know. And at this point, um, it's the kind of show that I can put on while I'm folding laundry, while I'm doing dishes, and, sure. you know, so because of that, I'll probably watching for now and it hasn't angered me like some shows have yeah but um but yeah it really i think is a shame that they're gonna have a hard time replacing the energy that these two gave the show when they first didn't do a spin-off and instead like kind of i don't know if it was instead but in renewed agent carter i thought that was a very wise move they realized that the show needed these two um and i don't think the show is at a more stable place now No, so we'll see what happens with it but um Yep, yeah, that's where I'm at with S.H.I.E.L.D. Do you have any final thoughts, or should we move on quickly to Arrow? Let's move on quickly to Arrow. So we have Broken Hearts this week, and we get um, forward motion, theoretically, on Elicity. Uh, and other things happen, but we don't really care about those other things. You don't uh, care
1: about Cupid?
0: No. Though I do <laughs> think it's a much more charismatic performance than it has any right to be. So props yes, to the it actress. Is. Yeah, um, yeah, so this is all about Elicity, and also Laurel gets to do some legal stuff. It's nice when they remember she's a lawyer. Ah, um, huh. <laughs> but how did, you, how did you feel about Elicity in this? Um,
1: well, the thing is, is I've been writing about Arrow since it started. And one of the things, especially within the context of the second season, that I was accused of by Olicity um, Shippers in the comments, but also on Twitter, was that I never talked about Olicity. Um, in part because I never bought their relationship and I still don't, um, in part because, and I said this in my review is that Felicity could probably do a lot better than Oliver Mm -hmm. and someone called me out on the idea of her doing a lot better. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that Oliver has been, has never really committed to working on himself and he can hide as much of it as he wants in like Ivy town suburbia. And if that's all that it takes, then he should be committed to being an Ivy Town suburbia. But he's not. Instead, he does dumb shit all the time. And the thing that I wrote about in my review, and the thing that Broken Hearts really put into context for me, and I think that this was a really important thing for me to realize about Elicity, is that Felicity is willing to excuse pretty much everything that happens ...that deals with the Green Arrow. She understands it. She's not upset that she, Oliver almost let all of his friends in the world... ...die in a dungeon in the League of Assassins headquarters. She's okay with that on some level because she gets it. She's so committed to the mission. And what Oliver is doing to save the world or to save the city or whatever... ...that she's willing to excuse it, but she's not willing to extend that kind of stuff to her person, their personal lives, and I think that's a really big distinction for her to make. So, him lying about William is exactly the same as him lying about being in the League of Assassins and being undercover and everything, but it's a different context, and that makes all the difference because she's willing to trust him with this part of their life but she can't he can't trust her with this part this other part of their lives and that's huge and that's a big deal and i think that that's a really organic way for them to break up this relationship and it makes so much sense to me for Elis- for Elicity, for felicity to feel this way yeah and so i really responded to these elements of it i re- was really happy that despite her big speech about the power of love ...to Cupid that she didn't go, oh, everything's better now because I realized this. No, this part was always here in me, and you decided to fuck that up. And so we're not going to do a 180. In fact, I'm going to leave the team for a little while. And yeah, so I was I was really happy with like how the show handled the breakup of the engagement and the relationship. And that entire fallout. I really like that. And this is the first time I can say that about anything related to Holicity since the show started. And that's just a big thing for me to be able to say about the show. The only other thing that I can say about this episode is that the courtroom stuff wasn't the unmitigated disaster. It was in season two when Laurel took over Moyer's trial, even though it was a massive conflict of interest and Mm -hmm. no one should have been doing that. Um, But at the same time, Laurel just totally forgot that, Half the shit that happened this season That she could have used against Damien Dark In court and it's just like That's not great Laurel (laughs) (laughs) So Yeah um the courtroom stuff Kind of fine-ish Um as a way to get Damien Dark Kind of off the board so that Malcolm Presumably can become this season's Real big bad or set him up for season 5 Which is actually what I think is going to happen Um yeah so It was an okay way to like Take Damien off the board but not in that really stupid way of, oh, we can't find him, so we have to deal with this guy, this lunatic of the week type of thing. So they know where he is, and so it feels a little more justified. But yeah, the only, only other thing I'll say is that Thea being so into the star City gossip blog of sphere delightful was delightful. I loved that, and any little bits of business that they give Thea like that, I'm always on board for. um, so I've talked a lot about this episode <laughs> way more than I should have. Please tell me how you felt about this first of all,
0: just her sort of like, seriously, guys, come on was you know, I think we've all been there you're like no nobody else watches the show are you but I'm not the weird one, you're the weird ones. Everybody else watches the show. Everybody else knows this gossip. Um, so that, that was a nice little fun character. It thing. was, yeah. Um the I agree about the laurel stuff, so I'll just you know, I think you yeah. stay cosign, I'll, th- I'll leave it there. Um the stuff, I have a a few thoughts. First okay. of all, it's about damn time that he was pining after her.
1: Yes. That it's, was
0: nice, wasn't it? It's an important change in the dynamic, and not like I can't be with anyone, even though I love you. Like was happening yeah. when she when she went ended up uh, with uh, uh, Brandon Rath for a while, but um, but yeah, I, I I agree that it's it's easy it's easy for him to say I'll never do this again, and she's like, okay, what this is, tells me is that what you see having happened is that. You made a choice and you regret that choice and that it was a one-off thing. Except it's not a one-off thing. What I see is this is part of your character. This is a continuing long-term issue with you where you are much more willing to risk our relationship and break my trust than you are to take a risk and trust me. And that's been a thing that has recurred over and over and over again in their dynamic, even just for little things like you know surprise parties or you know like things like that, like proposing and and all. Not
1: canceling the venue.
0: Yeah, like just little things like that. Um, so this is, it's easier. He has to. He would have to work very. He still has not told her most of his experience because the show is so. Uh, married to those flashbacks that they're still doing for some ridiculous reason um so she still does not know most of his life um pre the coming back to star city so if he if he can't just like he needs to sit her down and tell her everything that there is to know and say you have i have no secrets which hurts the show because they're so obsessed with this flashback structure and giving us new information that he can't have already given the other characters, you know. Uh, so, so he's God. Season
1: six is going to be great
0: <laughs> um, because he is not willing to, or doesn't even understand that that's what he needs to do. I think this is a healthy thing for her to walk yes. away, and so I think healthy. I think it's a positive thing, and I'm sure that they'll end up getting them back together um, after a while. But um, yeah, I think I would love, like you said, I would love to see him realize he needs to. He doesn't need to stop being the arrow. He doesn't need to do these other things. He needs to realize the issue is not the arrow, like you say. The issue is Oliver Queen yeah. and, and what his instincts are, what his, like, self-defense mechanism yeah. prompts him to do, which is to hide, to conceal, and to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Yes, I so, agree. So um, what wins your week in genre?
1: Um, none of the shows that we discussed um, <laughs> um, So I'm going to go give it to The Flash Basically by default for me this week Um, They had a, they had a fun little episode That moved the plot forward um, Barry and the team figured out that Jays zoom Based on how they dealt with trajectory uh, Which I thought was A nice way to handle that And also Sisker da- dances like he's a Peanuts character mm-hmm. So yeah, no I'm going to give it to The Flash this week But it's kind of by default Because everything else was not that great this week. What about you?
0: Well, I like the Flash. I enjoyed Supergirl, too. There were some yeah. interesting developments there, and I'm always going to enjoy Martian Manhunter stuff, so yeah. that, that was fun. Uh, can I just give it preemptively to the Supergirl-Flash crossover that's happening next week? Yeah. We're super excited about that over here at the television. Oh, um, but I'll give it actually to certain of the episodes of Daredevil. because okay, that's fair. Because no. we're doing all of season two. We previously had just talked about, I had talked about the first two, you talked about the first four. But there's a lot of episodes of this season that I actually ended up really liking. Not a majority, yeah. but, a, you know, a significant number. So when, when the show comes together and really clicks for me, I'm super on board. I love that they gave the Electra like the, the kiss in the rain scene that in the movie go, gets goes to Electra. I love that they gave that to Karen. Like there's lots of little you know like episodes like that earlier moments like that in the earlier episodes of the season that I was super on board with. So I'll, I'll give it to Daredevil. Now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama.
2: Bright and early for the daily races going nowhere Going Nowhere Their tears are filling
1: Hard to take when people run in circles and some very
0: This week in drama, Noel's going to talk a bit about the passion. because Just uh, a bit,
1: I promise. That's a
0: thing that happened <laughs> on our TVs this week. Uh, then we'll talk a bit about a bit about the new pilot on ABC The Catch um, from Shondaland, uh, before we go into Limitless, A Dog's Breakfast, and wrap things up with American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson, A Jury in Jail. So first up is The Passion. I did not watch this. Um, I So tell our listeners, what is The Passion? I mean, like, we... It's a very Christian country. The Passion is the telling of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection from the Bible. That's what the the Passion is. Starting at you know the whole Holy Week, you know, so yeah. you have Palm Sunday coming into town, having a, a a party, going to pray in the garden, getting you know thrown to the baddies, crucified, resurrected. All that that's what the Passion. But lowercase, I guess capital case P, but capital lowercase case, yes, lowercase T. Capital T's yeah. P. the The Clock. Passion, yeah. capital T, capital P, was a thing that aired on, on, on Fox. What was yes. that?
1: Okay, so the best way to describe the Passion is that it's the cross between... It's basically... It was basically the most expensive, non-denominational Christian Easter service ever. Complete with, like, Christian rock band-esque covers of contemporary songs that are, like, loosely... Tangentially, thematically connected to where these people, characters, however you want to slice that particular (laughs) thing, Um, because not a not even a god-believing person talking about this is kind of awkward. But I can bring nuance, I promise. Um, And so, but it's also like a halftime Super Bowl thing. It was a very weird thing in which Tyler Perry In New Orleans Live um, Like hosts And tells the story Of Jesus' arrival In Jerusalem and his eventual uh, Crucifixion And then his uh, resurrection And so in between Tyler Perry basically as a narrator We have pre-taped Segments of um, Various singers acting as Jesus and his disciples within new Orleans. So you have Jesus discussing, doing the foundation of his church with Peter in a coffee shop (laughs) slash bakery. And it makes sense. But at the same time, it's kind of awkward and weird that no one's looking at these 13 guys hanging out. Um, you have Judas, uh, singing about his feelings in an abandoned warehouse played by Chris Dautry. Um, and then we cut back and Trisha Yearwood's playing the playing Mary and she's singing songs about her pain regarding Jesus. And then the other element is that there are non-actors, uh, regular folks, um, who are carrying this this giant illuminated cross through New Orleans, basically a mile and a half, to where this giant stage is erected. And it's just this weird... Thing that happened On television basically And it was fascinating In the sense that it was Didn't make any sense in terms of Just logistically Like Greece Live was a really impressive Logistic feat This was not something that made a whole lot of sense As a television special To me But at the same time It was still vaguely compelling In the fact that The audience that was there in new orleans was really into it uh the reaction shots from people crying seeing the story reenacted and how deeply meaningful it, it was to them and then uh they had a reporter following the um the procession that was carrying the cross and they would interview folks that were carrying it and they would Basically, um, testify and witness to their faith and discuss what it meant to them. And this is a really significant thing to have ordinary people discussing their faith and having their moments of faith recognized as a televisual event. And I think that's really big and significant. To see that happen in a primetime special on a broadcast network. And we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago with um, of Kings and Prophets. And how it tosses out the Bible for the sake of violence and power. And that show got cancelled. And I think that this is just a really significant thing. And again, as someone who identifies as an atheist, I think that this is a really important thing that was on television. That this was something that... Wasn't like toned down in any way Well it was toned down in the sense that the crucifixion Was just described we didn't actually get to see it Or anything so if you wanted that You can go watch Mel Gibson's uh, Passion of the Christ um, In all its sadomasochistic glory um but that was that wasn't a part of this story it was a very love centric type of thing which is why like when i described it to other, a couple of other people recently i called it basically like a new wave type of jesus's love type of mentality because a lot of this reminded me of the times i went to church with a few of my friends in high school and it was all about singing contemporary christian rock songs or doing a couple of really relevant songs To Jesus and God love etc etc And that's what this felt like Was a very affirmational type of process Uh, It was just really weird Logistically speaking as a televisual event Um, Seal was really great As Pontius Pilate Um, But yeah it was just a really weird thing I'm glad I watched it But it was still just it was a weirdly moving and movingly weird type of event. And that's what I'll say about the passion. I'm not entirely sure they need to do this again, because this is something that actually airs in uh, Europe. This was like a franchise that was carried over from Europe and redone. Apparently they did do this um, in a couple of countries over there. But yeah, it was just a really weird take on the traditional passion play. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'll say about
0: that. Do you know anything about the ratings?
1: No, I didn't look into the ratings. Um, they weren't as good as they were for Grease Live, though. Okay. Which isn't surprising. I mean, this is a hyper religious type of thing. And it was aware of that. Like, by the end, Tyler Perry is discussing the fact that even though that this, for some people watching, this may not be a particularly moving experience, but for us, meaning himself and the people there and a number of Christians watching across the country or people that are deeply invested in Christ as a savior and that sort of thing, that this is a very big deal for them. And again, this goes into the fact that this was a significant thing to happen on, broadcast or on television, really, that wasn't regulated to early evangelist or type of Sunday... Morning type of stuff And I think that's, that's again really significant I mean this is a voice that While you and I both feel like This is a very Christian country And a number of things Politically are influenced by this But within the context of media This is the kind of thing that doesn't happen Very often outside of political debates Or legislative debates So this is To me this is a really significant thing that happened But it was also just a really narrow thing that happened is in a really weird sense in the sense that people weren't tuning in for like they tuned into greece live so yeah it was it's a very weird event that happened but not in a negative way i feel like
0: well and it again it's a window to a different kind of experience and to a different um a culturally significant uh aspect of a lot of um people's lives yeah. lives yeah um so the the you know looking at the ratings i mean i think a lot of more religious people are probably at mass on holy thursday or good friday this aired last sunday oh, it was on sunday okay yeah. i don't know where sunday night yeah did it get maybe it got replayed or something um or then palm it's a sunday. possibility then yeah a lot of religious people are in mass at mass on palm sunday too yeah um so that might have affected things i don't know Um, It's a possibility. But I do think that it's a really interesting experiment. I'm glad they did it. I didn't watch it, but it's still like just knowing that it's out there and people are taking different approaches to the medium of television and trying new things always makes me a happy Kate. So that's I think it's very interesting. But um, we'll see if they do it again next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. They Uh, had problems getting this into production from just a licensing standpoint.
0: Yeah. I could see that. Because
1: a lot of musicians were kind of like, eh i don't know that i want to let you cover my song for this yeah yeah so they had some problems with that but tyler perry was on board but that's not a
0: surprise yeah so yeah well let's move on to our next show and that is the catch pilot which uh is on abc it's the new the latest show from shondaland it's been in development for quite a while yes um, and, and troubling yeah. yeah um but this is Murray enos uh going after Peter krause it's a con man story Uh, I enjoy much of this cast, but, um, and the style, I mean, I like, I enjoy, like, kind of peppy, heisty, you know, uh, con-y, kind of, you know, catching the bad guys. It has a very, like, catch-me-if-you-can kind of uh, dynamic, or at least um, energy to it. It's going for that, like, kind of tapping-your-toes kind of music and everything. Um, But... Just,
1: but is the operative phrase
0: here but yeah I like Murray Enos a lot I don't care or buy Peter Krause and I think a show like this is 100% dependent upon buying into the central dynamic um, so I just don't care about him and I don't care about his brooding and his guilt and you know he, but he really loves this person it's like you have an entire career of milking everyone out of their money don't grow a conscience now and expect me to buy in, in the pilot what did you think
1: okay um this is not great um like you I love Enos even though I was unsettled by the fact that she kept smiling
0: mm-hmm. um I thought that-, that was such like it seemed almost intentional like when the yes. guy comes in <laughs> and they have to pretend everything's okay so they're just smiling which I thought was just a really fun little scene um sure comment on gender politics and it's not i'm sure necessarily it doesn't have to be a comment on gender politics but i think no, that that's is there if you want no to
1: like you you went for the gender politics me i went for the fact that i just assumed that she just wants to smile more after doing the killing for four seasons <laughs> well, exactly. and never being yeah. able to smile <laughs> yep. um that's why it was so weird. And also, she wasn't wearing baggy sweaters. That was also I, really weird. <laughs> I
0: legit did not recognize her in the ads for this.
1: No, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> not at all.
1: Um, so, no, she's great, and she's great in this. Um, but <clears throat> I feel like this is straining the Shondaland formula of a hyper-competent person with a cool staff. And having a goal to go after something. And, like, the supporting cast in this is bland as all get out already. I mean, there's plenty of time for them to, like, come forward a bit. But it wasn't that great. But the central problem, as you said, is that Peter Krause is probably really miscast in this. Um, and it's not totally his fault. His characters is arced in a really poorly way poorly constructed way in the sense that when Enos' character says, we don't really know I don't really know anything about him I immediately went, neither do I and that's a big problem right now because I don't know why you like this guy why did you agree to marry him? And why are you like, I get why you're obsessed with catching him because he like did all this shit and you stole files and everything, but you also fixed all the files at the end of the episode, so why are we doing this again? So there's that. And I actually texted a friend of mine, Danielle, when, uh, cause we were watching the episode at the same time. And I, th- you kind of answered the question I had for you was how did you feel about the fact that this was a con man having a con- crisis of conscience after conning her as opposed to typically, I feel like this would have been a con woman realizing that this is the life that she wanted and that sort of that kind of a dynamic i felt like would have been more familiar but at the same time i feel like it's less interesting because he's having this crisis of conscience and i feel like it would be more interesting if he was just really devilishly into it but no i'm gonna steal you a painting and put it in your house because i love you (laughs) and that's not creepy as fuck
0: yeah, well, because...
1: He's not comfortable in this at all. You can just tell.
0: No, no. Um, or he doesn't seem like he is. Maybe he yeah. is, but it doesn't come across that way. Um, but, yes, while maybe the this is turning um, some of our gender expectations on on their head by having it be the guy who just wants to settle down and leave all this behind and, you know... But it's also the jerk middle-aged white man who yeah. is uh who's an anti-hero who really means well but he's trapped in this life of crime and and you know this this good woman it's like it's it's the same anti-hero bullshit we've seen time and again uh so him feeling conflicted um but he has responsibilities and he's made commitments and everything it's like i don't i don't care I don't, I don't believe that you're conflicted first of all and second of all, like you needed, they needed to get me to invest in this relationship, and right, a and it just sort sex scene immediately. didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't really have any other thoughts. I'm not going to ke- keep up with the catch. Are you going to?
1: Um, probably not because Legends of Tomorrow airs, and this was like my chance to get it. Um, my only other thing is like, is Sonya Walger just under contract to Life to ABC? <laughs> I'm glad she- she's working. I mean, I am too, but is she, like, not allowed to do non-ABC shows? I feel like every time she, like, she gets to guest star on other shows, but any shows where she's, like, a regular or, like, a recurring regular, it's always been ABC. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah there, there is that, I suppose. <laughs> um, our next show is Limitless, A Dog's Breakfast, and um, in this episode, uh, we're back stateside, and, uh, everything's back to normal, including Rebecca is a little too okay with everything. Uh, I enjoyed this one. What did you think? Was it a step back up after the, the somewhat disappointing previous episode, or uh, was it on par?
1: Um, a little bit more of a step up. Um, I think in part because the show's, like, having to establish its endgame, so there's a lot of, like, we need to do this and this and this and this. And this. Um, but the show's better at doing that kind of piece moving Than a lot of other shows are And this is in part because it's generated A massive amount of goodwill from me So I'm willing to be more on board With this kind of stuff um, But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was generally pretty happy with this Is just like a He's got a new ha- He's got Mr. X and Mr. Y and But watching over him So he has to figure out ways around them um, But at the same time Like Rebecca's not fully on board with trusting him, which is good. Like, even if she's not fully on board with not trusting him, she's at least aware that something's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really significant, because I was kind of worried at the start of this that Rebecca was just going to be like, oh, no, it's all cool, you're fine. And, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to have Mike and I follow you, and I'm basically going to run an operation against you, and then I'm going to find out that you're in touch with Moira, Mora, and we're going to have a chat about that at the end. I'm just like, <laughs> yes, let's have a talk about this. Let's get it all out there. And then I honestly thought that Sans was going to like kind of fade in the background a bit after dealing with his stuff. And then maybe he was going to do something with Piper, but I didn't expect him to go rogue. Yeah. And that just kind of upped like, the Menace episode, because it, like, shifted things just enough that maybe Mora can come back next season, if there is a next season, damn you, Kate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and so, like, they've already said, like, that they're not, they're not entirely sure how they can work Mora progressively throughout the show's run.
0: Yeah. Well, in a I... realistic
1: way, which is an important thing for them to realize right now, yes. as opposed to later on where they're straining to get Bradley Cooper and to make sense that the President of the United States is having time to talk to this this guy in New York. And it makes sense that he's able to do it right now, but, like, later, it's not going to make any sense. So having SANS have NZT and the enzyme and SANS on NZT is going to be fucking scary, and I am here for it.
0: I am super here for it. No, and like you say... Yeah. Uh, there's a couple things that this episode does that I did not anticipate. I did not anticipate Sans breaking off, but I yeah. also didn't even just anticipate. I just assumed that we weren't getting any Bradley Cooper for again for a while. Like that, that maybe I just missed the ads. Maybe there were ads and I missed them. But I, you know, for me it was a surprise, and I thought yeah. a very pleasant one because again that led us into this different approach. I had a zero percent chance. Uh, I that I thought that Rebecca was just gonna be okay with things uh so uh i was anticipating and enjoyed how that went um shall we say but um no i like you say it's very it's very wise for them to free themselves up and expand out the world the way they have with you know now these two other characters on nzt um instead of being limited so specifically to mora um, limited yeah how about that um and it's just it's just smart planning for the future and um yeah i'm looking forward to them just you know like because you, you think you're putting on all this time with sands because they don't have mora and because it's right Marley cooper and then they're like oh no no no, we were going here the whole time
1: yeah and, and that's that that was and he he's got a team again yeah. and i'm just like oh shit he's got a team And I'm just like, we already saw and got a sense of how he operates with teams in his, like, origin episode, essentially. To give him another one is just really big. And this is such a sign of how confident and well put together this show has been from the get-go. That they're able to construct such a solid and, frankly, just really astoundingly good first season. Like I really can't think of another show that's had such a really strong first season within this vein, basically.
0: In this like, genre, it's been in a this while. genre. Yeah, it, I mean,
1: I mean, we can talk about how great People Versus OJ has been, but again, that's different because anthology show next season could be shit, and and we'll just like wipe the slate clean in season three. But for a show to have such a strong and confident voices, we've consistently said. Since we started talking about it Is just really really impressive
0: Yeah it's, um, it's just a yeah. really fun show I mean because you could point to like Jane the Virgin Has such an amazing first season Like, yeah. There are, there have been a lot of comedies that have Come out of the gate incredibly strong In the past few years and this has yes. a lot of Comedic elements to it but it's also just as Pretty much a straight up procedural Most right. weeks and um, Yeah that's having that Consistent and strong of first season As a procedural I feel like is a little Less common
1: right And I think for me, at least, the last thing I'll say about uh, this episode of Limitless is that it was directed by Lexi Alexander, um, who's just having a fantastic year in TV this year. Like, her episode of Arrow was really terrific looking. Her episode of Supergirl was also really terrific looking. Uh, She brought her standard flourishes um, to this episode of Limitless, including the thing I love the most, um, her use of... Close ups, but doing a close up on one side of the frame and then just having all this negative space on the other side of the frame, on basically the entirety of the frame except for that one sliver where the close up is. I love that. It's so destabilizing and she uses it so well in that sequence where Brian's confronting Mora and it's really, really good. Uh, She's got a couple of her like patent and wide shots. That she's been using really well on Arrow and Supergirl previously. And this was just a really... It still looked like an episode of Limitless. But Luxie Alexander just came out in a couple of little places. And that's what I like to see from someone who's basically had a terrific year directing three episodes of three... Really very kind of different shows. Even though Arrow and Supergirl are both superhero shows... They have different enough tones and styles that it was important for her to come through as a unique voice, but also still remain true to the show's respective aesthetics. And I think that's really significant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. She's become a name that I absolutely uh, clock when it comes up on my screen, and I look forward to following her other... Uh, directorial work on tv uh, over the rest of the year and seeing what comes what comes next for her uh but let's move on to our final show of the week and that is american crime story the people versus oj simpson a jury in jail uh, we we had the de- defense episode the um the prosecution episode the marsh epi- like the, the glove episode this week we get the jury episode Again, I'm gonna keep going back to: did, how much of this was new? How much of this were you aware of? And how did you feel about the treatment of uh, this episode? Were you like I'm starting to wonder about Ido. Um, I'm keep waiting for us to get more Edo, but we got the dancing Edo's here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you have? What did you think? How did you feel about this one? Um,
1: so this is basically where I go. I didn't know any about this about the jury. I didn't know anything about the black. Um clothes to like the strike basically um so all of this was really new to me um and so I didn't know any of this um that was happening
0: yeah this was all new to me as well um the the again I enjoy the over the top very obvious but the music cues when they come in to fight the power I mean come on it was super
1: fun it is super
0: fun um I think the
1: big thing that kind of held this back for me is that we. this is our first like introduction to the jury, so it feels very much like a microcosm of, oh, the black people want to watch Martin, the white people want to watch Seinfeld. And it felt kind of on the nose in not a really interesting way that the show's been on the nose before for me. And so the fact that we hadn't spent any time with the jury prior to this episode, um, made it kind of like feel like a little bit of a snow globe episode for me, which I think was the point is that these people have been trapped in a snow globe themselves for eight months of no television, no newspapers, no nothing and barely getting to see their families. So they're existing in this bubble where their entire life is the trial. And, Interspacing that with little bits of watching uh, Marcia and Johnny get jurors dismissed and get the right jurors that they want, and then just watching it all unravel was interesting, but I wasn't as captivated by all of it as I had been basically up until this point. Um, The only big thing I really responded to, and we talked a little bit about this last time, uh, or a couple episodes ago, but David Schwimmer, man. Right?
0: God so
1: good so amazing in this episode just his nervousness and his 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 concern and his rationality basically about the numbers and him feeling torn between the legal and scientific information that he has. And his loyalty to OJ and his friendship to OJ. Just, it was basically the hook that was keeping me in this episode. And Schwimmer is insanely good at conveying this conflict that he's experiencing as Kardashian. And if, I I mean, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the season... But again, if you told me that David Schwimmer was going to be like one of the standout performances Mm -hmm. of this show, I would have been like. Maybe, but I kind of don't believe you with the rest (laughs) of this cast. Yeah. But now I'm just like, yeah, David Schwimmer. Yes. And yeah, so I was just really responding to his performance and he was keeping me anchored in this episode. How are you feeling about it?
0: I don't disagree about the rather um, straightforward, I guess, shall we say, approach to the jury. Yeah. Some of the issues with the jury, but um, just getting that window into what their experience is like is like you can't be alone with any people. You can't. You have to be observed all the time. You can't read anything that has any mention of the trial in it. Which at this time is you can't read anything yeah. current. You can't watch anything. You can't watch a sports game because they might mention the you know, like. They're like, I'm gonna watch the Super Bowl. It's like, Oh honey, no. No.
1: Instead you're gonna have Blockbuster sending you VHS tapes of Martin episodes, which yeah. I really went I don't think that was a thing at the
0: time. Yeah. Well I'm sure, you know, that's I'm sure that's based on something. Maybe they were taping it off T V for them or something, but
1: Maybe that's a possibility.
0: But yeah, just mm-hmm. just to get a window into what that must be like. And when you see Marsha and Johnny playing their games back and forth when you have more of a window into what these people are dealing with as like their daily experience, um, it just makes all of their back and forth just feel so petty. But then you cut to the Goldman's in the courtroom and you're like, but this is also their son. Their son was murdered. And yeah, you know, so like is the way that they, again, the, the show keeps handling all these different, uh, elements, um, and reminding you, like, whenever possible these are all people uh, continues to be the real strength of the show and I mean when you talk about uh Schwimmer's performance and that character he's given one of the most dynamic characters on the show because yeah. he starts out absolutely convinced O.J. must be innocent and at this point convinced he's got to be guilty and trying like watching him go through that progression watching him handle this stuff watching the scales fall from his eyes um, has been really very uh it's been really good it's been really good looking forward to the last couple episodes i don't know how much yeah more. we only have two left yeah there's only two only two left um and
1: which is why i don't think that we're gonna get like an ito centric episode which is
0: yeah it would have happened by okay. now
1: okay yeah it would have unless it happens next week i haven't watched next week's episode even though i can i haven't watched it yet um <laughs> but i also feel like ito being like background kind of makes sense because He was always very perceived as like this passive figure within the trial, or at least that was my sense of things. And so him kind of being this passive presence within the show makes sense to me.
0: Okay. The um, conventional wisdom around Ido that I was aware of is that he was trying to make a name for himself and enjoying celebrity off of it. But again, as I've said, my, my awareness of this, uh, trial is very um And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, my thing, my sense
1: of him was always very passive.
0: Yeah, but again, so. yeah, there's I've been learning lots about this stuff. There was lots yeah. of stuff I didn't know about this. Um so I don't know that that perception is accurate at all. Yeah. Um, and I so... don't know my
1: that mine is honestly yeah. at this point. So
0: We'll see what they have to bring us in these next two episodes, but uh, what wins your weekend drama?
1: Um I'm going to go, like, zag and give it to The Passion just as, like, an event thing that happened on television that I think is mildly significant within the current television landscape. Um, It wasn't the thing that I enjoyed the most by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But I think it's significant enough that I want to give it a little bit more attention than it probably got. I'm not encouraging anyone to watch it because, again, it was kind of weird. But if you're morbidly curious... Watch, like, the first 30, 45 minutes, and then you'll know whether or not you want to continue. It's about an hour and a half, so... But, yeah, it was just a weird thing that was interesting, and I was surprised it was on TV, on broadcast television, if at all. So, yeah, I'll give it to The Passion this week. What about you?
0: Um, I'm gonna give it to... I'm torn between Limitless and American Crime Story, but... Um, I guess this week I'll give it to, to Limitless for surprising me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that. I'll give it to Limitless. So, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm not, cause they're so different, you know, they're so different, but. Yeah, I'll give they it to are, Limitless. but I think that's fair. Yeah. I would
1: give it to Limitless otherwise. Yeah. So
0: there you go. Yeah. There we go. A few show notes here at the end of the uh, of the episode. You can find a post-up for this episode at org, the website for the podcast. You can email theteleverse at gmail.com to, to reach out to us, let us know what you're thinking about uh, you know these shows, The Weeks TV, anything else. You can also like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can uh, find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And any feedback you want to give us there, ratings, review, we would very much appreciate it. it helps other people find the show um hopefully you guys enjoy if you're listening at the you know over two hour mark we assume you're enjoying otherwise i'm very confused you can also find us both on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and you can find my writing at tv.com
1: all the Arrowverse shows are back officially next week so I'll be doing back to back to back reviews once again. All of the shows. Very All exciting. All of the shows.
0: <laughs> and of course, you can find some of my writing up at the AV Club. Um, now we're going to take a break and come back with Latoya Ferguson, also of the AV Club, to talk about that one season wonder, that underseen gem, Fastlane. Miami Vice. In- <laughs> oh, <my God>. oh <laughs> listeners listeners well i would say if you only knew but you're about to hear so yes you're uh, about to hear. we'll be right back after this
1: you don't drop cover you never flash a badge welcome to the candy store
0: everything we see we keep everything we keep we use
1: that's that's what i do for a living i lie we're here
2: to catch the bad guys Cause that's the job, man. You're about to meet my partner, Van. It's mad cool. Thank you.
1: This job is not all about tail and tanqueray. And if you screw this up, there'll be two new wise-ass pretty boys walking in your shoes. You got a way out of this, Van? Huh? You got a plan, Van? You not huh? say my name over and over? Okay, Van. Okay, that gets annoying. From the top, yo. top yo. Yeah. Yeah. You know you with the top, yo. 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 Rock, rock y'all.
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are going to have a fantastic conversation. I'm very excited because I am incredibly torn about <laughs> the show we're going to discuss, which does not happen much on the on the podcast. And so I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about Fast Lane. And here to join us, uh, well, coming back to the DVD shelf, welcome back, LaToya, is LaToya Ferguson from the AV Club. So glad that you're joining us. And just like, I'm I did, you broke my brain with Fastlane yes. a little bit uh yeah so this is a show that you I mean I, I I would normally say why did you want to talk about Fastlane but it was my idea to talk about Fastlane because <laughs> you recently wrote it up for the A.B. Club uh, what made you pitch this to the A.B. Club and, and uh, what made you want to explore the show
2: well uh I guess this isn't really spoiling anything but I have a bunch of fox one season wonders on uh, the pipeline for the av club so skin was the first one i did uh literally just did fast i have john doe upcoming and and i basically have free range. so i'm gonna be doing a lot more shows no one wanted to hear about <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking forward to the john doe one i must say i did watch that week to week yeah, when it I- aired I'm definitely also gonna do North Shore and Reunion at some point, so get excited for that, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had watched uh, Fast Lane on Fox when it had aired, uh, actually, and in the years like uh, after it, I I'd rewatched the show, and it's just it's it's fun show that I-, I I love to talk about it at all times, kind of kind of like Life was You Know, the last show I did for DVD shelf, and <laughs> so I-, I-, I got to write about it, and it was like a dream come true.
0: Now this is one that I remember, you know, airing at that time. I mean, this this aired in 2002 to 2003. I I graduated high school in 2003. I actually very much I remember writing up uh for my high school newspaper that I wrote for very occasionally. An article about um, Friday TV and genre TV and like why basically trying to get people to watch Firefly. So I was very aware of the Fox lineup that <laughs> year. Um, so I d- didn't watch it when it was airing, but I would see ads and be like, "Why is this show getting all of the ads, and Firefly is getting none of the ads? Poor baby critic me, I didn't realize how these things work. Um, but it's just such a interesting show. For me to watch now because now i have a lot more context um so for those who don't know why don't you give a quick summary of what is fast lane
1: and be sure uh, to use the candy room motto
0: <laughs> eight <laughs> times
2: I, i'll let you i'll let you do that eight times no i was just gonna say that it's McGee does miami vice meets starsky and hutch that's it
0: mm-hmm. yeah and when you say it's McGee does miami vice we, like, we gotta start in, dive in with the, the pilot, because this, the, this pilot is the Miami Vice pilot, to the point where, as watching it and almost getting angry on behalf of <laughs> Miami Vice, it's like, how did they not get, like, sued or something, because it is the exact same pilot, just without, for me at least, I, I just, it just, it, the fact that they so beat for beat copied the Miami Vice pilot made Fast Lane look terrible. And I was really happy when, as I watched more episodes later on, they found more of their own voice. It was a lot quippier, and I thought it just was a much better version of itself later in the season than it was uh, in its pilot. Was this just just mean? Like, Noel, how did did you respond to that? And Latoya, I also loved your thoughts, but for me, it was just like, if you're going to do the Miami Vice pilot, you don't talk when you do the montage to in the air tonight.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I picked up on the um, Miami vice pilot um, vibe, um, which I think helped that we had Corey on uh, a little while ago to talk about Miami vice. So it was all very fresh in my head. And I mean, it doesn't really stop there. Like I tweeted at Latoya um, in gone native with the Russian mobsters that they basically just lift the cold open from a Miami vice episode with the bazooka blowing up the car. And I just went, Oh, okay, this is what we're going to do. All right, I'm cool with that. But I think that the Miami Vice comparison is accurate in no small part because, I mean, Miami Vice was like the epitome of 80s access, and now Fastlane, for me, in a lot of ways, feels like the epitome of uh, mid-aught access. And, I mean, it's just all there. I mean, it's like you noted, Latoya, in your um, AV Club article. It was – McGee had basically some music videos – and Charlie's Angels on his resume <laughs> And they gave him the show To basically just go nuts with And I, th- I think you see that I mean, the aesthetics are very much him They're very much How we kind of thought about action movies At that time And I think that's really interesting And makes for a nice counterpoint To MTV, MTV Cops, basically But really ramped up MTV Cops so yeah no totally miami vice vibe um but just like for a new totally different decade and generation of aesthetics and editing techniques and that sort of thing so i think that
0: that aspect of the show worked actually pretty well so it sounds like i'm the only person who it bothered when they used the exact <laughs> same songs like i was well, like I... at what point does homage become rip off <laughs>
2: Well, especially because uh, watching it at the time uh, in in my youth, I wasn't really familiar with Miami Vice. So to me, it was like, oh, this is an interesting thing that's happening. And obviously watching it like after the fact, it's like, oh, yeah, this is exactly Miami Vice. But I think it is uh, fascinating to see like, OK, so this is like this is McG, uh does Miami Vice. Like this is him putting the. Uh, early aughts spin to it which I did find interesting of course like the show finds its own voice as Noel was saying later but early on it's just like here let's just do
0: this (laughs) well and I do think it's gonna be it's easy for me to criticize a show like Fastlane because the stuff that it's doing well is not always stuff that I value primarily because of just the way that I watch TV so many people watch TV in different ways but it looks really really good it's shot really well it's the action scenes look glossy and look amazing and like the stuff that it does well it does really really well but unfortunately for me uh, I don't like the, that stuff Because <laughs> well, I would love to just appreciate the cinematography And the slick direction But when almost every episode No, when every episode that I watched Treats every woman on the frame In the frame Except sometimes for Billy Like an object I can't enjoy this the way that they're shot The fact that they're shot so well uh, It was a real I had so much trouble with it <laughs> It's,
2: uh, like I say in the piece, like, uh, defense, uh, the part one of that 2 part in the middle, it's, like, the entire beginning of that episode is just, like, two back-to-back music videos, and, like, the first video is a hip-hop video that is just, like, here, check out these women's asses.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and it is, it's like, first, all of the cleavage, let's let's watch people getting out of pools in slow-mo, and then again, and then we're gonna reshow that same shot three times uh, <laughs> d- in various speeds and cuts. Uh, and and again, I like I can appreciate the craft of how it's put together, but it's like we have we can't make sure we don't see their faces if we can make sure we don't see their faces, that'd be great. Whereas I actually had a lot more fun with an episode I anticipated being really problematic for me, which is strap on, which is the one where oh God Billy goes undercover as a lesbian because you know that's a job lesbian um <laughs> that you can go undercover as um anyways. Uh, but but I actually, because because that episode had so much more focus on character, as well as really letting uh, Peter Facinelli and Bill Bellamy steer into the comedy, I actually ended up really liking that episode on the scale of of these the ones that I watched. Um, I was shocked by that.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, rewatching the episodes uh, for the piece too. I was I was ready to watch Strap on and be like, oh 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 no. Because you just you know that like when they were pro- promoting the episode, it's like Billy's gonna kiss a woman, blah blah blah. More and then, hot I, tub shots. Hot tub <laughs> shots. But then the episode actually happens, and it's far better than it has any right to be. Honestly, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's because again, well, they got uh, you know it's Jamie Presley comes on, um, and I think she's actually very good. I, I almost always enjoy her um, when she's given something to do. Uh, even on something like The Riches or which is a recurring character and um as well as everybody uh My name is Earl and and some other shows. Um so they, they got a solid guest star for that character and again they don't really they have that horrible gay panic joke with uh with with Fechnelli and Bellamy. It's like if if they had just gone into it and committed to it that would have been so much better but of course that's you know we're how many years on now 13 years on uh it's easy for me to say that um that was never going to happen in 2002 on network tv but um but aside from that they really they don't feel the need to like define billy's sexuality in that episode they like there's you know the the guys are like oh oh hmm," question marks we're going to say things, but they, they leave a lot of it in their very obvious imaginations, and they don't have them ask inappropriate questions of their boss, uh, which I was actually, again, I was surprisingly impressed with the handling of that episode. <laughs> also, that
2: episode has uh, Randall Park as a cater waiter. I yes! know!
0: We were so excited!
2: <laughs> I freaked out when I saw him, like, offer calamari to people. I just went... <gasps> I was like, (laughs) you get that sad
0: card. No, definitely.
2: (laughs) Oh, I I haven't gotten confirmation on this, but I want to believe it's true in, uh, I think it's defense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ben Feldman is one of the extras at, uh, Cyrus One's party, like, when there's first parties, but I'm not quite sure, but I really hope it is. Yeah. And if so, because it's like Ben Feldman playing, like, a super douche in the background and I love it.
0: <laughs> well, and, and there's there there's some fun cameos in this. And then that's, for me, that's what this show, that, that was actually probably the most frustrating thing about watching the show for me, is that I can see within Fastlane a show that I would really, really enjoy if it had better you know if it had a less male gaze just obsessed lens and and focus with with the camera work but also just some of the writing uh, but, but when they, when they and this kind of goes into my thoughts on peter Pacinelli people need to stop casting him to be dramatic huh. and just let him be goofy it's like it's like with brandon routh when when they when people cast him to be goofy he's really great when he's supposed to be like leading man Super serious serious guy he's, terrible he's just really bad um and i feel like that about peter Facinelli as well like when he gets to be just kind of goofy and weird and silly on a show like supergirl or an, an episode certain episodes of fast lane i think he's actually really good but then people go like but you the way you look puts you into this category <laughs> so we're gonna need you to be like broody serious angsty man and it just never works for me i
2: mean it works for me in the sense that it also uh seems to have him be shirtless in very low pants so I appreciate that from the show <laughs> very That's very true. low pants he's,
1: those pants are really low and really tight half the time too yes. especially in the first couple of episodes when they're just that brown leather yeah. that he's wearing and it's just like that must have been really fun to shoot in in the LA heat that must have been a blast <laughs> <laughs> But no, um, I I agree that Facinelli just struggles a lot with the more dramatic stuff. But at the same time, like Bill Bellamy is fantastic in every in pretty much every episode. I think um, he's just really he I think more than Facinelli, is like really into the vibe that the show's wanting to do. And even though he doesn't have as many um, romantic entanglements, sadly, as uh, Facinelli's character does, he's still really good. in like things done changed, which is when his ex girlfriend shows up. And he, that's a really good episode for him And that's also an episode with Terrence Howard in it as well And so it's I enjoyed Bill Bellamy a lot in this actually this, That was my big takeaway from Fastlane um, I was about on the same level with it as Kate was In terms of enjoying it um, But um, mostly I just went Oh this is really really excessive And I don't do really really excessive all that well
2: Unless it's a particular type of excess And this is not the excess I do well like I said in the piece, uh, I believe, like, it's because it's so excessive, there's no reason it should have been 22 episodes. No. Because after <laughs> defense-offense, like, you can just, you see the show struggling and just trying to, it's just, it it shifts. And it's like I pointed out, like, they break cover so much uh, often after uh, that first two-parter. And it's like, well, now, what is the show even about, really? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. I wish I'd watched some of those, because actually I stopped after Offense and then just skipped to the last three, because I wanted to watch Ass Lane. Um, <laughs> the Emmy Award winning Ass Lane, by the way. Um, it won an I Emmy mean, for Best st- Stunt Coordination, yeah. and deservedly so, because that, that cold open is insane. <laughs> yeah.
2: If, if anyone is under the belief that Fastlane Lane didn't know what it was doing, I mean, yeah. just look at the fact that an episode is titled Ass Lane. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> it knew what it was doing. Yeah.
1: Right, and there's a degree of like begrudging respect that I can give the show because it's it's very hyper aware what it's doing. It just doesn't play it in, in a meta way in kind of a self reflexive way in too far anyway. In the sense that yeah, we know what we're doing. Wink, wink. It's we know what we're doing and we know that you probably enjoy this on some level, just a visceral type of level. And I think that there's I can give the show some grudging respect for that and also just on the level of like i said earlier like aesthetically the show's so unified and put together that it's it knows what it's doing really really well and i can't take anything from that even if i'm just like oh i can't believe i watched 17 episodes of this
2: (laughs) (laughs) and you missed the, uh, the misha barton episode didn't you
1: i did miss the misha barton episode and Corey's gonna yell at me for missing the misha barton episode
2: it's not good. It's like it is. It's it's basically where McGee's like, "Hey, I should have her be the lead of the OC." Like, no, no.
0: The no. You said that for you, uh, Bill Bellamy was a real discovery with this. For me, it was Tiffany Thiessen because. I watched like no Saved by the Bell, and I've seen. I don't Someone think I've else. seen.
1: Oh my god! I thought I was the only one. <laughs> no,
0: and I've seen zero Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two and
2: oh, oh my god! I, I have to leave this podcast,
0: <laughs> <laughs> or you need to come back later and make me watch it. There's that solution okay, as well. I can do that. Um, but all I knew about her was just stuff that I'd picked up through cultural osmosis, and <laughs> none of that was. Hey, she's actually a solid actor and performer. It was. She wears bikinis and looks good in stuff, and that's what she gets cast. That's just sort of the, just the, what I had picked up at the time, how she was promoted, how she was used in advertisements, and, and all this stuff. But I think she's actually way better than she has any right to be in that role. Um, I was very, very surprised by that. It's a ridiculous role.
2: She's pretty great here, actually. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, she gets a lot of, like, really good stuff to do, um... I'm going to keep going back to Aslane because that episode's insane. But I mean, <laughs> just the fact that, I mean, the she sells the nervousness of having to undress and maybe eventually sleep with Van as part of a porn audition really, really well. I mean, the sheer discomfort of having to be a kindergarten teacher undercover that's about to do porn. Um, God, I can't believe I just said that sentence. I mean, the um, whole
2: thing, if people are listening to this without the context of the series, I... Bravo really? to them, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, she's really, really good. And, I
1: mean, I had seen her enough in um, White Collar to know, and also just, like, random episodes of other things that she had been in, to know that she's she's been really good in a number of things. And so this wasn't as big a surprise for me um, as it was for UK. But, no, she is really, really good. And I think it helps that she gets to be the authority figure and sort of the straight man to... Um, Uh, Van and Deke, so she has to like keep them in line. And I think that that kind of helps ground things a little bit. Uh, As much as anything in Fastlane is really grounded. And I think that she's really good at that particular aspect of the show, but also acknowledging the fact that she's still running this top secret undercover what we what we see is we keep what we keep we use yes i found a way to work it in. <laughs> and um i think that that works, works 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 really well for her and even if some of it does get kind of insane where she's like defending herself from the prison shiv and <laughs> <laughs> all the various other things that just come into play with billy but i, I think a lot of it helps in like also she's really great in strap-on as we've said strap-on is way better than it really has any right to be and she does a really nice job of getting into character and probably i think better getting into character than either van or deke really get into
2: character unless unless it's van uh, like being an over-the-top flamboyant character like his pimp character
1: oh god his pip character is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so I, I really like Thiessen in this as well.
0: Well, she commands the room. Yeah. In a, like, just, you'd never question it. And this is an absurd premise. It's ridiculous, but...
2: I love her scenes against uh, Jay Moore. Those are pretty great, because he's just, he's super Jay Moore in this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> that, that explains it all, basically. And just, I want to see her put him... In his place, like I want to see
0: just like a gif of him, of her punching him just (laughs) again and again. It's delightful, exactly. Well, and watching an episode like um, defense that 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 opening that we get with um, and then we cut back to like three days earlier, but it's really, it's, I was watching this going, I hate the objectification of women in this. As soon as we get past that part of the episode, I'm super on board. Why do they have to have both of these things? Um, so when I was able to just shut, like, ignore that part of many of these episodes, I could really get on board with like the dynamic between the the tr- the trio and and because it goes from being an incredibly sexist show to being actually a really egalitarian one with the the dynamic with Van and Dee. They never question her. Um, and when they, they
2: do. They like they suffer for it. Yeah. yeah
0: you yeah. immediately lose. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually there it's just like for me it was just hurting my brain because of the dichotomy that I was experiencing.
2: It's like uh, uh talking about McGee just in general, it's yeah. like how I feel about uh Charlie's Angels the first one, which I feel like is an extremely subversive movie that like flips the male gaze on its head and then you get Charlie's Angels full throttle which like forgets everything that apparently the first movie learned and it's just so full of nonsense that I still don't understand how anyone can say Full Throttle is better than the the first one Mm -hmm. it's basically like that you have to like there are the Charlie's Angels aspects of the show but there are also a lot of Full Throttle aspects of the show that like hide it pretty much
0: well let's talk about some of these uh, recurring characters and recurring figures that pop up I know Noel that you have particular thoughts about Big Boy
1: he's fantastic Um, no, I I tweeted to both of you that, um, any episode without Aquarius, um, who big boy plays is pretty much a wash of an episode for me. Um, he, he just, even, I think even more than the rest of the cast, um, he just kind of embodies everything that's, that's good about Fastlane, the excess, the kind of winking self-acknowledgement. I actually think that big boy is on a different Type of fast lane than everyone else's half the time, where he's just really aware and clicked into this kind of more self reflexive version of the show. And he's just having, I mean, he literally tells them that he's not hugged, he's, he's not hugging. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> and I think that's just fantastic. And um, because it acknowledges that, because the show never acknowledges that Miami, Miami Vice exists, but it acknowledges that Starsky Hutch exists. <laughs> and so i think that's really fun and interesting and i really enjoyed every time he showed up um and even if it was just for a couple of scenes to be but
2: he's so good I mean, in the pilot well that party was off the hook after that I
1: party know. was off the hook no it was
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like aquarius was on a version of fast lane like that would have existed had the show been able to continue yeah like yeah he was just he was there early pretty much
0: did you have a uh, particular favorite characters uh latoya that that stuck out for you
2: I mean, how how do you get better than Aquarius? Really? I
0: mean, I feel like you can't. I feel no. like that's that's it. I mean, it's interesting to talk about what the show could have been or would have been if it had gotten a second season or just been able to move forward, or even if it just if it if it hadn't been shackled to the twenty two plus episodes per season model. Because uh, I feel like this could have become a show that I absolutely loved. Um, with more time to find his voice and more, uh, I guess, more cre- creative freedom. I don't know if that comes, if that would have been possible, given, you know, McGee's sensibilities and everything, but there, there is, at the heart of this show, like, I think it would have gotten stranger and more quirky over, you know, and yeah. more distinct, and yeah. that would have been, that progression towards that, like, I think they could have found, which I know the show cares so much about what would have particularly... <laughs> Interested me, but uh, that <laughs> I, think, I think I really like what Fastlane would have been in season three, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Do you guys have any thoughts? What, what, let's envision Fastlane season three. What do well, you think is different?
1: First, I mean, we need to discuss the fact that at least one episode of season two would have been Billy getting over her relapsed heroin addiction,
2: yeah. <laughs> that we was would have inf- to deal with that.
1: inflicted upon her, and then. <laughs>
2: By the um, way, uh, Kirk Acevedo was pretty great in the finale. I will, I will give him that. Yeah,
0: he was. yeah. Until he gets run over, and they're like, Psh, who cares that we just straight up murdered this dude? <laughs> hey, but everyone gets
2: some diamonds, so, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. And we get to watch a woman throw diamonds into her cleavage, because why would she have pockets? Um, but yeah. But no, he was really, I was really glad to see him pop up. There's a lot of fun guest uh, guest actors, like we've said. Um, and talk about a show confident it's getting a season 2 but it just like yeah heroin cut to black end of series <laughs> ah, no um
1: a season 3 i imagine i mean it's also like i'm trying to th- envision like also what the television landscape was at that time so like if we're in season 3 we're in like 2006 2007 period and i'm trying to remember like what tv was doing at that time and basically i just go well, we had Desperate Housewives, we had Lost, we had House, and I'm just like, I don't know. I I'm hella curious about where Fastlane would have fit into that landscape if it maybe would have taken a swerve and gotten deeply serialized, or which would have been interesting if they had managed to somehow gone to a 13 episode order. And just from a budget standpoint, as you mentioned in your article, Latoya um 2.6 million
2: dollars <laughs> for each episode <laughs> and it is I mean, insane it, shows. it really shows honestly. Yeah. yeah yeah no it, it does doesn't. again like if they had just shortened that season like they could have like argued it was worth it too because honestly after offense let's see what we get we get the return of robert forster with Ugh. jenny with jenny mccarthy so they add jenny mccarthy to that nonsense and it's not good uh, then we get actually a pretty fun episode of Slippery Slope, which is the, the return of Van's uh, criminal girlfriends. And it's a, it's a good Bill Bell- Bellamy episode, too, because he gets to react to all of Van's nonsense. Uh, then we get the Misha Barton episode. Then we get the faux American Psycho episode. Not great. Which I actually, what I believe, the episode we're going to do for my podcast, The Televoid. So that should tell you everything you need to know about that then uh let's see overkill with the arms dealers uh and yeah, dale earnhardt I, jr oh why didn't i, I can't watch even, that like, episode recall what actually happens in overkill and i just <laughs> recently watched this like i i, I see what's what's happening i see uh bokeem woodpines in the episode i could not tell you what actually happens oh i vaguely remember it like he's a record producer or whatever yeah and he likes sucking toes. I remember that because. <laughs> of course. <laughs> how do you forget that? And then we get Aslane and the finale. It's. So, yeah, it's very dire, basically, uh, after uh, defense offense. Because, Und- like, I feel like they kind of blew their load with that two-parter uh, in the middle of the season.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the other thing to uh, think about is also where both of the fast lanes, like, big voices are right now. And that's McGee and John McNamara. And, I mean, MacG has been, like, it's important to remember that MacG is, like, a television brand now is responsible for The Mysteries of Laura and Shadowhunters.
2: <laughs> well, the thing about McGee as, like, a television presence now is that no other show gave him as much of a voice or power yeah. as this one did. Yeah, because, like, did... that, that same season, basically, like, the OC came out, too, so... Yeah. I mean, he's
1: very much, like, the brand that gets things made at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, his production company, uh, what is it called? Wonder... Uh, Wonderland. Wonderland, right. Um, Like, produces a number of, like, shows that people have enjoyed. Like, there's Human Target, there's Nikita, and so there's a number of shows that, like And Chuck, of course, obviously Chuck... And supernatural, uh, which is going to live forever, right? Exactly. That show's not going to die, and Dick Wolf's going to be pissed. And <laughs> I think that there's a lot of stuff going on there. And then, like, John Mac- McNamara is like an old television hand. I mean, this is a guy who's been around since like the 80s, working on a number of stuff. And he was like the pre- supervising producer in Lois and Clark. He helped create like Prophet, The Fugitive, and now he's working on like uh, The Magicians and Aquarius. Oh, hey, huh, <laughs> Yep. yep.
0: so I, I mean, like this Aquarius better than that Aquarius.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. Yep. <laughs> so I think that that's really interesting that, like, I mean, even though Fastlane was like this kind of one season oddity, basically, for both McGee and, but also like for McNamara, but I mean, they're both still really involved in television. I mean, this didn't scuttle any of their chances for continuing to produce and make television. Which is good. I mean, sometimes after one season, you just kind of disappear and fade away, and neither of them have done that, which is
0: good for both of them. Yeah. Well, and again, what I feel like I just need to keep going back to is this, is a, this show looks amazing. You hear about TV budgets sometimes, and you just kind of wonder what's going on, but it is all on the screen in this show. And if you're someone who likes early aughts action... If you like '90s action, early '00s action, you're gonna like Fastlane cause it's, yeah, it's like
2: it's really a time capsule, and it's like the the pretty much like the peak of that that type of thing, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that we talk about on the the Televerse from time to time. Finding good action, like some some of these superhero shows, should be way better than they are at action. Um, and so, I appreciate a good car chase. I appreciate. Um, explosions that are just straight up ridiculous, especially when followed by a quip because um, that's <laughs> that's what should happen if you're gonna have like a car just kind of bump into something and then explode there needs to be a slow motion walk away with sunglasses like, it's <laughs> to happen uh, so so I can super get behind that kind of TV and and, and all all the props to to fast lane for for doing like knowing what it is and doing that. Really well, um, despite some of the baggage that comes with. I just I can't help but just look at the show and see a different, ver- see like an Earth Two version of it. You know, I don't know, but I, but if nothing else, I'm grateful for 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 having sort of solidified how I feel about Peter Facinelli because it was it was giving me trouble over on Supergirl. <laughs> As well as, as, you know, getting more introduced to Bellamy and Thiessen, which was super fun. So, thank you, LaToya.
2: For... I think you actually would love Thiessen on 90210, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, well, noted. That'll that have to be something that I look at. I know it's one, it's one, like, soaps are a big gap in my TV knowledge, so uh, that'll have to be something that I, I work on moving down the line. Do we have any final thoughts on Fastlane?
1: I I think Latoya's point about this being very much time capsule is really spot on and it's it is very much of a piece of action sensibilities within the early aughts and I think that makes it really a fascinating artifact basically of also television like in transition as it's like trying to catch up with not trying to catch up with film but also in a sense of trying to do more with its medium and in a lot of ways it's like setting up a lot of other things that we're looking at and also trying to aesthetically propel itself forward past where it was um as a medium and like try to push itself in interesting ways. And so yes, gender politics and male gaze issues aside, um there's a number of things aesthetically and perhaps like historically turn based that maybe if we wanted to we could start to steadily kind of maybe trace back to Fastlane and see if there were any other, like, ramif- any other, like, if it has any descendants, really.
2: Yeah, I would say also, uh, I-, I touched on it in my piece, but I do think Fastlane, uh, while being very much a product of its time, is also kind of ahead of its time. Uh, maybe it would succeed in this format uh, in a world where <laughs> uh, once Entourage has had aired, because it hadn't aired yet, and also in a world where we knew that the Fast and the Furious would be like the biggest franchise in the entire world. Yeah, <laughs> that's an excellent point. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you again, Latoyer, for coming on the podcast to talk fast and getting me to to have some you know some 0203 memories, good times, uh, <laughs> O oh, Fox and 0203. Um, where can I listeners find you and your work online? Uh, You can just uh, follow me on Twitter at
2: LaFergs and I will let you know everything I'm doing basically every hour of the day, whether you want to know (laughs) or not. So have fun with that. And uh, I also have a podcast about terrible episodes of television called The Televoid, which you can find on iTunes. So you should check that out, too. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I am looking forward to that episode coming up of the Televoid. I'm going to have to make sure I bookmark that one. Uh, but thank you one more time, Latoya, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.